Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. We're talking about video transfer with Chris Vandeventer, I'm Steve Bockel, and Marlo Anderson on the Tech Ranch. And uh, video transfer, there's a lot of different mediums out there. And, uh, you know, this question is video and audio components, there's MP3s, MP4s. Uh, what's the best platform out there? Kind of what is standard industry-wise? Uh, Chris Vandeventer with us uh, to talk a little bit about some of that today. Uh, so, Chris, if you're going to make an audio file, MP3 is still the standard, isn't it? Yes. Um, AAC um, is Advanced Audio Codec. That was something that Apple came out with um, years ago when they came out with the iPod. It's got a little bit more fidelity to it. Because people used to think of MP3 players. So, right. okay, they kind of stuck. Yeah, MP3 but is pretty much the... those terms, it's like, uh, you know, Rolaids. There's a lot of antacids out there. Where right. People go, hey, just give me mm-hmm. Tums. You know, yeah. There, there's a, uh, a moniker that just kind of sticks. Right, it becomes sort of, generic yeah, after a while. Generic yeah, and what's the broad application of mm-hmm. that? MP3 kind of got MP3 is pretty much it. Um, most of your online broadcasts, I, um, I know for our national day radio that we run here in the office, uh, we can either do MP3s or AAC, Advanced Audio Codec, which is just a little bit um, more fidelity. Um, but there's really no major difference other than how the information is compressed. Well, and – where it makes a difference is in transfer. So if you're transferring audio from one form to another, correct, or across one spectrum to another, and we'll get into the video side of stuff too. But uh, that's where it makes a difference. That's mm-hmm. where it matters. Is did you save it as this, or you know, is it transferable, or where are you going to replay it from? Right, because if you run into a situation where you have a file that was. Um, what they call the M4, .m4a, which is Advanced Audio Codec. If you then want to convert that to an MP3, you're already compressing a compressed file. So you're going to lose more data the more you compress it. Well, maybe so, we back up a little bit and talk about uh, what that audio file is. So uh, when I listen to, whether it's uh, an interview or music, I'm thinking voice. Mm-hmm. Well, voice is data. Walk us through that process. Yeah, so basically you take um, the raw file, basically the raw data, as you listen to it on like a CD. So CD quality, um, you're looking at a high level of data. Um, CD is a digital format. You're looking at maybe 20 to 30 megabytes per song. Um, A CD will hold about 700 megabytes of data. So your average CD will have 15 songs on it. When you can compress that down, you can get that down to about three megabytes per song. Wow. So you're looking at about maybe a megabyte per minute um, compressed. Most oftentimes you're not going to notice the audio quality difference, um, particularly if you're not listening to it on a high-end audio equipment. Um, but a lot of folks, they prefer um, what they call the lossless uh, compressions, which are now out there where you – Make it the file smaller, but you don't throw away any data. 
um, much like when your digital cameras, they'll take a picture and they'll look and say, okay, well, these pixels right around this area are all about the same color, so I'm only going to count one of them. Oh, so it throws okay. away that data. So basically it says, okay, these are pretty close. Close enough. Like, and so we'll, we'll toss out this packet of information. And then we'll toss out this. We'll toss out this and leave the rest in. And that's how compression works basically. You're kind of snipping out like items in favor of one to stand alone as the representation of what those are, whether it's um, musical notes, voice, or pixels in a photo. Okay, so now when you're going to talk about MP4 or some of the other uh, different data um, save, you know, saved as, uh, you're just basically talking about uh, the quality of, of that. Correct. Yeah, each one of them. Video. Each one of them has a different way of throwing out data, um, and so it's just the compression is okay. Well, how are we going to do this? And that's how you get the differences in the file. But ultimately, to the average ear, you're not going to notice it. Okay, because I used to burn a lot of CDs back in the day and, you know, about 15 songs, unless there was a, an album cut of something on there. Mm -hmm. um, really didn't notice the difference because of my thought process was, well, I'm in the car, so there's noise. Mm -hmm. and, and the player is only of a certain quality. So when you're broadcasting that data back, uh what's the player quality side of that? Because we're taking computers out of audio. We're taking computers out of the mm -hmm. equation, you know, whether it's a CD player back then or, uh, okay, I'm going to date myself cassette deck or mm -hmm. whatever it was, you're, you're just listening to that data. Um, the player had a, a big piece of what that quality sounded like as well. Right, yeah, with your cassette decks, you know, was the tape on the um, the tape, Damaged in some way? Was there dust in the system? Uh, dust on a laser when you're playing a CD? Um, but it really comes down to the speakers. Um, I'm not that familiar with the audiophile side of it, but there's a difference between listening to a song through the standard earbuds that come with your phone versus a high-end Sony headset with right. noise cancellation. It's all about how that information is transmitted uh, to your eardrums and then to your brain. Oh, a great uh, example is uh, you know, when I fly and I like to watch movies when I fly, I absolutely positively cannot use the cheap standard hand them out headsets, you know, the, the little mm -hmm. earbuds that the airlines provide. I, I, I cannot pick up. There's not enough clarity in there and I got a little bit of a hearing deficit being in broadcasting mm -hmm. for so many decades and I can't hear. I, I, I just can't. So I have to bring my own headphones. Uh, whether they're noise canceling or even just good, you mentioned Sony, and it's my favorite brand when it comes to, to listening to things, mm -hmm. but I have to bring my own headphones. Right. I have to have my own because the quality's not there on the ones they just pass out to everybody. Mm -hmm. And then, I, like we're trying to play too, you, you kind of want that seal around your eardrum, yeah. around your ear. Uh, I always have the in-ear headphones when I'm flying um, just because it blocks out some of that noise. From the from the aircraft. So now you've got uh, what that audio is produced as mm -hmm. to what's it's reproduced as, and then to the speaker on the chain of the. Where what level of degradation is there through that entire process? So, 
because I'm thinking now if you're going to listen on good speakers, well, you also have to have a good microphone on the front mm-hmm. end of that. So uh, there's so many different components that come into good quality audio, or we'll get into the video later, but uh, good quality audio. So it's the front piece, which is a microphone, uh, and we're not even going to talk about the processing side of things, mm-hmm. but then how it's saved and then how it's played back, what it's played back on, and then the the speaker side of things. Right, and there shouldn't be that much degradation in the in the playback of it. Um, as long as whatever you're using to play it can read the file, uh, it should be able to take all those ones and zeros and play them back properly. And so when you're talking about data, and you mentioned the ones and zeros, and I wanted to get into that because that's kind of an intriguing part too. When you're looking at data, what does that data come up as? It's just numeric algorithms. Uh, what's the data as stored at that I'm recording it onto something and then something's reading it? And what does that look like? That's a good question. I've never really thought about it at that depth, but really it's a numeric algorithm. It's like, like you said. Because I'm going back uh, to – this is on the video side, but I go back to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. and the little cowboy kid when he gets oh. beamed over and mm-hmm. – and, Broadcast, and I'm like, okay, the little tiny bits and pieces and things that are transmitted through the air. That's what I think of because mm-hmm. that's data, right? Me. And I think that that's um, that's accurate. I mean, yeah, you go back to a movie back in the '70s, and it was accurate then. It's accurate today because mm-hmm. you know Einstein once said, "We'll get into some relativity that light moves as a wave and a particle." Yes. So, um, and radio waves are just light you can't see. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a pretty apt way of putting it. So when you're looking at um, types of equipment out there, uh, you know, for the average consumer, there's a big spectrum of, of different equipment. Um, kind of depends on what you're looking at doing. Is it just a rebroadcast? Is it uh, playing, you mentioned radio over mm-hmm. the air? Is it through your computer? Mm-hmm. Um Depends on what you're you're looking at producing, right? Or reproducing, and the technology's gotten so um, advanced that your speaker components can get so much smaller. Um, my Apple AirPods are sufficient for what I want to do um, on an average basis, but if I wanted to sit and maybe really listen to an album, um, I would probably get a pair of Beats headphones. And a higher end over the ear headphone as opposed to one that goes in the ear. Um, it's just really t- personal preference. So a lot of personal preference goes into that and lifestyle goes into that as well because, uh, with uh, the invention of Bluetooth, wireless headsets, mm-hmm. um, how much does that play into quality of what you're listening to? I guess it would come down to, um, as opposed to wired. Right. It, it really comes down to is like how how good is your Bluetooth connection to your um, the device you're listening with? You know, Bluetooth is in dozens of feet can be measured as far as how far it transmits. I know that. Um, well, I'll say I'll have my phone and my phone will be in my house, and I'll get in my car to go run somewhere, but I don't bring my phone with me. My phone will my car will automatically play the last audio book that I've had streaming via Bluetooth because it can sense my phone in the house. And it'll play until I'm about three houses away. Um, so you really, it's it's a, it's a matter of how close you are to the source. Um, 
And then it kind but of again, also a transmitter and receiver component mm-hmm. to that as well when it comes to Bluetooth. Right. Because yeah. I know <laughs> I, I pull in my driveway and, oh, hey, or you get too close to your car and your your phone is picked up by your vehicle and you're still talking to the phone to somebody. And then it's now it's on Wait a minute. Yeah. You're, I hear you coming from my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a little frustrating, but uh, technology when it comes to audio, uh, we'll talk about video as well. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. The Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. We're talking with Chris Van Deventer, uh, video transfer and uh, audio transfer. Uh, he's a media expert. We're talking about different media sources. Uh, we are talking about audio. We're talking about video. Um, what's the difference between the two from a data point? Because... Um, there's a lot more with the the video side of things. Audio, you've got, you know, if you want to simplify it, it's it, one stream of audio, and then if there's video, there's another stream of video. Mm-hmm. Is it that simple, or from a data perspective, that you've got a right and a left? Uh, it's kind of I think of it right and left brain ish. Yeah, I would say um, the biggest difference when you when you go from audio to video um, is about the end size of the file because you're talking about a digital file and and pictures are much larger. Yep. So I would – yeah, photos are a lot bigger. Um, I know if I take a raw image with my Sony camera, it's about 25 megabytes, whereas if I just took a regular JPEG, which would be automatically compressed, it would be about that three or four uh, depending on how many pixels – but that gets into way way too far into the weeds. That's why I try to send pictures on yeah. the phone, and, yeah. and you can only send so many, or you have to resize right. the file because mm-hmm. it, it just won't send that much. Because right. a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. with limited data plans, doesn't want to send that. Yeah, and, just, and when you're looking at like high definition video, like um, for which we could play on like all of our big screen TVs, you're looking about a gigabyte per minute of video, as opposed to a, a megabyte per minute of audio. So that really comes into play too. Is if you're streaming um, high definition, it's it's a lot of a lot of data um, that's coming through, and ultimately, it's the standard MPEG compression is what they use these days. Is um, if you wanted just a digital file, um, and that can, I think, on the on average, when I convert a videotape, let's say, let me back it up. We get VHS tapes here in the office, and we convert those to digital. Not everybody has a VHS player anymore. Uh, we've got a, a set of VHS VCRs. We hook them up to a digital converter. I still remember back when it was, okay, VHS or beta. That's right. the big decision. And surprisingly, we can actually do beta here in-house too. <laughs> um, so you hook that up, and every – I think about an hour and a half is a, the max I can put onto a DVD. Most everybody says, okay, I want this video of my son's graduation and I want it put on a DVD so I can play it on my DVD player. And so about an hour and 30 minutes will cover about four gigabytes, which is about the size of a, a burnable DVD that you would create. And that really determines how many DVDs you need. If, if somebody brings me an eight-hour tape – 
Um, I could wind up putting that on four different DVDs because of the amount of movie that's there. So my question pops into my head right away. Um, so if somebody comes in with an old VHS tape and wants it onto a DVD mm-hmm. or eight millimeter film and wants it onto a DVD, how outdated is that DVD? At this point, yeah, absolutely. Um, some people um, will say, "Yeah, no, it's, we don't even want the DVD because we don't even have a DVD player." But if somebody asks for that, because DVD players are going away, they I, are. We've and seen that just like VHS went away, and uh, we won't even get into laser discs <laughs> if yeah. you can find one of those. Well, yeah, you've come over to my house, we can watch Jaws. Oh, perfect. <laughs> um, Jaws 3D too, I bet. That's right. Yeah, uh, but if somebody asks that, what's the process of walking them through going? Did you really think about how you want this preserved? Mm-hmm. And we've seen this in Hollywood lately now because they're going through a major project of trying to salvage a lot of old film mm-hmm. because the film's breaking down. Right. And they didn't realize it at the time, but they, just the medium that it was on breaks down. So you've got the medium failing. You've got – because you didn't know what you didn't know back then um, – so when somebody comes in and asks for a, a, a DVD, which, okay, you can scratch that. It, it's, mm-hmm. Is it just digital the best way to go right now because it's the most current or is it kind of the be-all, end-all? I would say that, that the best option is to go digital um, for two reasons. Let's say I bring in um, – well, I'll give you an example. I had a – Somebody came in and said that we want a a wedding video. We're using these photos. And so you scan the photos in. You plug them into your video editor. You add the music. You create a wedding video to um, play during the father-daughter dance or something like that. If I put that on a DVD, you're limited to where you can play it. You have to have a DVD player hooked up to whatever. If I could put it on a USB thumb drive, you can plug that into pretty much any computer and play so it gives you more flexibility of where it's going. So the other side of that too is if you put it on a DVD and now you've got a copy, which mm-hmm. I would hope somebody would be smart enough to make two copies mm-hmm. for backup because you can scratch that and mm-hmm. damage that. Um, it's more vulnerable to lose that piece of data, that memory at that point than going digital. Correct. And once it's on that DVD, you can't make any changes to it. I mean, if if I gave you the original data file, then if you wanted to go in and edit it out or make changes to it, you could do that yourself if you were so inclined. Um, if you have the DVD, you got to have to find a way to rip the DVD to make another digital file to make the edits. Um, and if that one copy has a scratch on it, mm-hmm. you're replicating the scratch as well. Correct. And I think a lot of it has to do with the um, – the clientele we have that comes in bringing these things, they're not the Gen Z or millennials coming in. It's people that are clearing out their parents' attic and they're just used to the DVD. Right. And it's like, well, here, we'll just, we want this on a DVD. Um, 
Put because like 20 years ago, you could yeah. walk into a classroom and go, what's this? And mm-hmm. about 50% of the kids would go, that's a cassette. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years before that, it was, well, that's an 8-track. Mm-hmm. Um, now DVDs are in that space where mm-hmm. it's like, what's that? Well, I don't know. Half the kids might mm-hmm. know it and half don't because it's we've become such a digital age. Right. And we offer here too um, with the Zuvio, we have a cloud service. We built a cloud um, video storage system that instead of putting it on a DVD, we will upload it to a dedicated um, account for you. So basically, we like to call it your own personal Netflix. Um, you got all your family videos. You upload them to this area. You can watch them. You can share those with your family um, no matter where they are. Um, but then when I offer that to one uh, person um, recently, they're like, well, What's a cloud? <laughs> well, yeah, that, they're, they're, that, some of that too. but this person actually actually understood the the concepts. Like, but they live out west of Medora. They don't have much in the way of internet. Mm. So, how is that going to benefit them? So, really, you got that rural bar, the broadband divide that's coming up, where people don't really have access to the high speed everywhere they would want to be. Um, so then, a physical medium becomes the preferred choice because you don't have the ability to stream. Or um, whether it's on a USB thumb drive or on a DVD. Which is still digital, but Mm -hmm. now it's – I need that physical element, that something in my hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that, that, – Something tangible. There's a mindset that says if if I don't have it physically in my hand, it doesn't exist. It's it's in the ether. It it might disappear. Oh, there's still a few things where I'm not quite sure I've totally jumped the shark in that myself. Mm -hmm. And and I've gotten over the precipice, but – to fully take that last leap of faith, sometimes losing the tangible side is hard. Mm-hmm. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Tech Ranch, as we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, video transfer expert, media expert, actually. So whether it's uh, audio or it's video, um, a lot of different things to know out there from a, a media space. So I guess media is kind of the the correct term because it's mm-hmm. not audio or video. It's media, which that covers a lot of bases. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about, uh, you know, somebody cleaning out their parents' attic or uh, somebody wanting to pass information, data, because whether it's audio or it's uh, video. When we're looking at the digital side of things, it's data, and, and that's what pictures, recorded voice, music, all of it. That's what it is. It's data. Um, so I want to get into the video side of things. And going back, typically you guys do a lot of video transfer and, and preservation of past memories for mm-hmm. people. And when you're looking at the video side, it, it, does it start basically at the old eight millimeter films, because that's what I think of as you know, mom and dad taking the the camera out and mm-hmm. and filming the family vacation or the fishing trip or the camping trip and or graduation or baby's first steps. Uh, a lot of that back in the day was on eight millimeter, right? And um, you know, I've really only gotten into it since I started working here. Um, we have um, some machines that'll convert the eight millimeter. And as I look back, my dad was a big photographer, and he, we had one 
when I was growing up, and I've got eight millimeter film of me and my grandfather had stuff, and it's in the past you had to hook it up to the projector, and then you had to. Um, well, it wasn't easy back then. It was not, and my dad started converting a lot of um, these old eight millimeters himself, but he had to basically project them from the projector to some sort of mirror system and then capture them on a video camera. That was the old way of doing it. You took a vid- you, you took a movie of the movie. Um, like there's a Seinfeld episode where they so sneak he a cam. pirating his own film. Right. You take a camcorder <laughs> into the theater and, you know, you're recording the movie. Um, but now th- that there's too many steps there. And it's not – there's no fidelity to the original right. media. Right. Mm-hmm. You're losing integrity. Correct. So what we do here is we have um, – what looks like a mini, mini projector, and you run the eight millimeter film through it, and it takes a photo of every single frame, and then it combines all those photos into a a film. Because what is a movie but a series of still pictures? And then how how fast you play them back is where you get the the um, perception of movement. Uh, Was twenty five frames per second is I think usually or thirty frames per second is usually the standard. So if I have one of the smaller 8-millimeter reels, that's about 50 feet of film, but it's only about three minutes of video. And a lot of folks, when, I, when they bring those in, they'll bring like 10 or 20 of them. And I'm like, okay, hey, each one of these is only about three minutes. Do you want them separate or do you want them on one DVD? Because if I was making them like individually. I do that? But, yeah. I, I think how far technology has come from back then. Mm-hmm. To today, and um, you know the. Com- I, I, I actually, I'm not even sure if compression is the right word, but the truncation of what you're able to capture mm-hmm. has changed so much. And I think with when I do the eight millimeter film, whether it's the Super Eight or the eight millimeter, because we can do both. What's the difference? Super Eight was a little wider um, picture. Um, there was, there's still an eight millimeter, f- um, you know, I'm not sure because I th- it had to do with the size of the frame. It was still eight millimeter tape or film, but it had a little bit wider. I think it ha- had to do with what kind of machine it was played on. Um, the teeth for the advancing were further apart and they were a little bit bigger. I would say you know, almost. Well, I know like, back in the day there was this panoramic because I, I was wondering if that might be it. If because you could see like on old films, you see mm-hmm. formatted to fit this screen, or, right? Um, was that kind of? Was no, I think a, a, a simpler this? way of looking at it was, it was probably VHS versus Beta. I mean, it was just a different format. Because um, I really haven't seen much difference other than. I have to flip a dial whenever I'm making a copy because it has the because uh, <laughs> the teeth are separated are further apart on one of them versus the other. Hey, I work under the Kiss principle, so yeah. it's, 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 flip a dial. Okay, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're looking at, at transferring video from an eight millimeter, mm-hmm. uh, whether eight or super eight, um, what's the process going through? Because you ask somebody if do you want a DVD or do you want digital? Digital, of course, is the new standard, mm-hmm. um, and it's taking a photo of every one of those frames, but that's all done digitally. Correct. And um, I, I like that because 
your resolution is only limited to the size of the photo sensor on these machines. And I think we get a pretty good size. It, it does high definition, 180, 1080 pixels. Uh, 1080p is what it, um, as opposed to taking a recording of the recording. Correct. Which now you're losing mm-hmm. integrity and because here I'm getting every quality. here I'm getting every single frame, whether that frame is damaged or not. Um, whereas I'm recording the movement if I have it projecting on a screen, and then I have I'm not getting every single bit of information there. And then I can go in and I can in my video editor trim out individual segments, individual individual stills from those um, frames and. Um, get down to a very fine grained edit because um, a lot of these films that are coming in they're they have mold they're brittle um, uh, they stick together uh, so we oil all the film um, as it goes through our machine we have a video quality a film quality oil that we apply and that lubricates the film so it doesn't stick or peel and then it kind of slides through our machine and then spools back on itself and well, a lot of thought wasn't given into how do I store mm-hmm. these reels of film back in the day. Um, I keep using that term back in the day for some reason, but it's, <laughs> it, it seems like decades and decades and generations ago when you're talking eight millimeter film, but the storage was very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you have it sealed? Did you keep it in an airtight container? Uh, or did you, like most people, just throw it up in an attic that gets really hot, really cold and right. is subject, even though there's a roof, mm-hmm. it's subject to the elements when you're talking in terms of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, what I tell folks is whether it's a VHS or it's eight millimeter, the quality of the video I'm going to give you is only as good as what you give me. Um, I can go in and I can fix color. I can fix exposure to a certain degree and I can fix audio. Um, but I'm limited to what it, what's actually on the medium that they've given me. Um, a millimeter actually comes into another um, – another, there's another step involved that is audio related because there's no sound associated with these um, films. And so a lot of times folks were like, so well, that's the audio track that goes, there is no audio track. Okay. Um, and I'm taking pictures of it. So even if there was an audio track, I can't capture it. Did we not get into the audio side of things until the, the video camcorder? Pretty, age? pretty much. Um, I think that, you know, you had maybe commercial production on film with audio, uh, when you're talking about movie production, but for the home movie enthusiast, there was no sound until I would say, Till the camcorder started coming out, we're doing the beta and VHS. Um, not sure if that's accurate, but sounds about right. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> you know there there was a big push, and I remember um, Turner Classic Films was kind of a pioneer in this, of taking black and white films and colorizing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, what you can do digitally as far as the editing side uh, in a little bit, but. There was a big push on the the colorization of, and it seems like when it first started out, it it didn't matter the quality. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, we have this film that's now color when it used to be black and white. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not sure I've seen that color before. Right. <laughs> that area has made a huge stride because now I, I look at a film that's recently colored, and I kind of a a, a video file. And I'll look at an old film that I enjoyed in in its black and white form, and I'll see it colorized now. If it was something 
modern or current that was updated can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. You really can't. Yeah, I think that the technology has really come a long way from and quickly from the days of um, when films first started. Um, they hand colored each frame. Yeah, to 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 add color to it, uh, like the old "From the Earth to the Moon" video uh, film that came out in the eighteen hundreds. Every single frame of that was hand colored. Could you imagine that job? Yeah. And then, then what TCM did, Turner Classic Movies, they said, well, just run it through something and we'll just add whatever we think it was. That guy must be wearing a white shirt. It was more of a, a, a splash methodology. Yeah. It's like they just splashed color. It's like, okay, now we have a color film. Mm-hmm. And where we are now, it's, it's incredibly flesh tone, flesh tone. Mm-hmm. This opaque splash. Right. So... After 8mm, camcorder was the next mm-hmm. generation. So when you're recording um, or preserving the video pieces for somebody going from 8mm to now we've moved into the kit. Because there really wasn't anything in between. Now we're into the camcorder mm-hmm. age, which now you're adding the audio as well. Correct. And um, one thing I tell folks, they ask me, how long is it going to take? And I said, well, how long is the tape? Because I have to record encode everything in real time. I, I run it through a VCR. I play the film that they've given me. It's not like you can go fast forward on the VCR button, right? And then I then it then it digitizes it through our um, system, and then creates a digital files. And um, so if it's an eight hour tape, it takes me eight hours to digitize it. And then somebody will say, "Well, I don't know what's on the middle of this. I know that there's." so-and-so's first steps and then there's a birthday party, but I don't want any of that stuff in the middle. And it's like, well, I can't edit the stuff in the middle out until I do the whole thing because I can't just fast forward and say, okay, I want to capture this part and this part. I got to do the entire tape. And then I can throw out what you don't want me to keep. Um, But a lot of times we just – we don't do that because – But it's not like pushing play on the VCR and then pause and then – Fast forwarding to the end of the VCR, right. you, you just can't do that. I mean, I could, but it just take it's just it's not the same. Though. Yeah, because it's it's better just to capture everything, and then throw out what you don't need. So VHS to beta was kind of the the big discussion mm-hmm. back in the day, and VHS won. Mm-hmm. And, and why did VHS win over beta? You know, I don't really know. Um, I think it was a some of it was marketing. Some of it was the size of the machine. There was a, a bulk factor involved when it came to beta. But because mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I remember being a little kid and that was the argument out there, VHS or beta. Mm-hmm. A- and it was a big fight for a while. And I think ultimately what won out was simplicity. Um, the VHS players were simpler. Um Beta made the argument that, but the quality on this tape is so much better. It's a better um, technology. It's a better way to record your stuff. VHS was just keep it simple. And people didn't care about the nitty-gritty of how the video was being recorded. They just cared that it was recorded. And I think that's a lot of what uh, drove um, Beta 
away from the commercial market, uh, the consumer market, and it stayed kind of in the commercial market for a while with uh, news stations and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the VHS just went out because it was just easier for the consumer to to get their head wrapped around. That cassette tape, just mm-hmm. the, the the simplicity and the ease by which people could use that mm-hmm. or, or share that, um, it, w- it was pretty simple compared to what the beta process looked mm-hmm. like. So when it comes to video transfer, uh, do you see much beta as far as you know, I've had to preserve some stuff? I've had a few beta tapes come through. Uh, we have a, a small um, consumer-sized beta player that we can um, do that with. But I've even seen the really, really big tapes, these three-quarter-inch tapes um, that were commercially produced. Um, I think one woman brought in it was a tape of her mom on the Wheel of Fortune um, from the seventies, and it was the daytime version. Pat Sajak wasn't even there, and it's the tape was I swear, swear it was almost an inch thick, and I have a player that'll play them. Um, so the only thing that's complex about that is getting the video out of the machine and into my digitizer, and it's we fairly straightforward. What a great family memory. Hmm? The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, video transfer expert, media expert about uh, preservation of memories and, and what that looks like and sounds like today. We're talking about the video side of stuff and uh, VHS versus beta you know, VHS had a lot of convenience to it, but the quality really wasn't there. But um, when it won out over the beta, because that was the argument, VHS or beta, and when it won out, it was the KISS principle. A lot of people function off the KISS principle. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like my technology simple and easy to use. Uh, ease of use was there. The quality of the video really wasn't a concern because of the broadcast side or the rebroadcast mm-hmm. side at the time. But when you're looking at taking that medium, that VHS medium, and improving it to a DVD or a, a digital, what are some of the nuances that go into that as far as uh, the preservation of that VHS? Again, because there's film in that cassette, it's what quality is that film in? That- right, yeah, the physical quality of the film. Um, as a, and then you see, so you have the two things. You have the physical quality of the the tape, and then you actually have how the data was encoded on that tape. Um, it wasn't high definition. I think um, whenever you talk about high definition, I think the terms of four hundred and eighty pixels is standard definition, give or take. Well, a yeah. lot of people today think you can make high definition out of something that wasn't high definition. You can up. You scale can upscale it. it through right, digi- but you are digitization. But yeah, it's it's the kind of the op- when we're it's kind of the opposite of compression. When, um, but you can only go so far before right. it distorts. Right. So you have when you're compressing something, you're looking for like things and throwing out what you don't need. When you're upscaling it, you're finding similar similar things, things and adding them um, so you can get to the full size. And I can actually get. It up to 180 high definition, but yeah, it's not super great quality. It's not going to be as if I was recording this directly as digital. Excuse me. 
so yeah, there is that issue. Um, I can get close, but not quite. And where it comes into an issue is with high definition TVs now that people, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute. I, in fact, I was listening to a conversation on the radio on a talk show and they were talking about going back and watching old NFL games mm-hmm. or old college football games. Uh, and they were thinking that, oh, this ESPN classic uh, and watching the old football games was going to be awesome. Then they got to watching them go, wow. The video was really not that good back then mm-hmm. on some of these classic games. And, and that's kind of a where technology is gone is the rebroadcast side or the screen worthiness of being able to watch that replicated. That's why digital is still better than, than the DVD. But uh, finishing up on, on the VHS, it's, again, that quality of tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do a lot in the editing side, but that quality of tape is still – what you need to replicate what your finished product's going to be. Right. And more often than not now, you have, as it evolved into the smaller and smaller camcorders, um, you started having digital tape. So things were recorded digitally on the tape. Um, and so you have mini DV, really small cassettes to um, the modern 8 millimeter, which is a, the is it the Sony 8 or HD8 or Handycam size tape? Um, they tried to get to the compact. If you remember compact VHS? Oh, yeah. Um, they took the VHS, put it into smaller so form factor. The cassette. Yeah. And that you could actually play in the VHS player with the right adapter. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember we, we had one of those. Mm-hmm. So you drop the cassette in the cassette and then put the cassette in right. the VHS. Because you're looking at the same size tape. Everything else now has a different size tape. So it's they're not going to be – you can't play them on the same devices. So you have multiple devices. When we do conversion, I have five different camcorders out here that I use um, depending on what size tape it is. So moving forward from the VHS, and, and we'll kind of skim over. Do you, do you have many laser discs? Uh, people that wanted to replicate laser discs. Nobody has actually. That was a little blip in the window. Yeah, nobody has brought any laser discs here. I have a laser disc player. Uh, it's living with my dad right now, and he's gone and he's made um, copies of some of our laser disc films. Um, but that was a case where it was the size of a record. Um, but you had to flip it over halfway through the movie. Um, I know he's um, – Which is fine for a bathroom break or I need a right. snack. Yeah. Um, his Our LaserDisc player, we actually lived in Japan at the time, early 90s. LaserDisc was still pretty big over there. And so we, we have a, a massive collection. I think we have all the James Bonds um, <laughs> at the time. And I, and, um, but now this will be – People might start knocking down my door. I actually have the original Star Wars before George Lucas messed with it on laser. Really? And I actually have a VHS of the laser, which I have now digitized here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to finish up on the laser disc side of things, though, uh, there was some creative marketing that went along with film releases mm-hmm. for laser discs. Um, they got into some interesting special features and special effects that wasn't privy to the rest of the marketplace. No, because at the early laser discs, you had the ability to add extra tracts, like um, with DVDs, director's commentary. Um, that was the first foray into that. Um, yeah, but it, 
again, I think it was just people got so focused on how big the disks were. It wasn't very simple to use. You had to flip them over in the middle. It didn't hold that much information. Um, and DVDs were around at the same time. And it's like, well, we'll just do DVDs. Uh, just became whatever was simpler. Well, it, now we've got this retro movement going back to albums and people actually mm-hmm. listening to records again. So I, I'm waiting for that to get into the video side. And, hey, maybe there is a place for um, – for laser discs, you know, you mentioned the DVDs too, and, and DVDs kind of had a little bit of a uh, uh, emergence issue because we went from DVDs, and then the next technology was going to be the mini discs, mm-hmm. the, the the little tiny DVDs. They just never caught on. No, they didn't. Um, and I can't because they were they came in like a little cassette cartridge. And um, you saw a few of them made, but they never really did. Um, you, we talked earlier about you know audio and how the format keeps changing. It's like, well, I bought this on on vinyl. Well, now I got to get it on cassette, and now I got to get it on CD. Well, now I got to get it on mini D or yeah, uh, the, they had the, the mini discs. The mini discs. The yeah. Um, oh, and then I got to get it on, you know the, the format just completely changed, and now. Everyone's like, well, I want to buy it once, and then I want to be able to play it everywhere. Well, and, and that's the digital That's age. where you go with digital, yeah. So as far as other mediums and uh, that transferring to the digital side of things, uh, was there anything else out there that we may have missed um, that was just kind of that one-off outlier that you've done video transfer or well, audio transfer? Well, we did one recently. Um, it was um, in the – Late 90s, there was a move to um, div- digital tape, and there was the mini DVs, which they came out with consumer camcorders, but then they had ones that were slightly bigger, uh, digital video cassette. Um, oh, I remember those. And I actually have some out here in the um, office, and we were able to actually get them done. Pretty fascinating. Uh, we're talking with Chris Van Deventer, uh, media expert concerning video and audio transfer. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Welcome to May 27th, 2023 in the National Day Calendar. Today we celebrate happy accidents and inventions that really stick. Your heart performs 365 days a year without missing a beat. So isn't it fair to give back to the hardest working organ in your body? Million Hearts is an organization that's dedicated to preventing 1 million cases of heart disease and stroke in the next five years. Visit their website, millionhearts.hhs.gov, to find out how to take care of your ticker. That's millionhearts.hhs.gov. 
Like so many good things, the popsicle's creation was a happy accident. 11-year-old Frank Epperson was sitting on his front porch, stirring a cupful of powdered soda and water with a stick. That night was unusually cold, and by the next morning, the forgotten mixture left out on the porch was transformed into a frozen pop. Today, the popsicle is the quintessential summertime treat, thanks to a few other inventions like the freezer. On National Great Popsicle Day, chill out with the happy accident that never goes out of style. Some inventions are an overnight success, while others take a little more time. Richard Gurley Drew began his career as an inventor in 1920 when he worked for the 3M company in St. Paul, Minnesota. He created invisible tape in 1930 for the cellophane packages sold in bakeries and grocery stores. But when DuPont introduced heat sealing cellophane, Richard found that his invention had completely missed the mark. 3M knew a good thing when they saw it, though, and today you'd be hard-pressed to find a home that didn't have multiple rolls of scotch tape. On National Cellophane Tape Day, celebrate the inventions that capitalize on stick-to-itiveness. I love that word, stick-to-itiveness. I actually looked that up. I thought you made up that word, Anna, when you wrote this script, and it truly <laughs> is a word. Well, it's the word of the day since the first guy made a popsicle out of a stick. The second one stuck to his invention. So, so you're saying the word stuck around. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> In the KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. This hour in Texas, impeachment proceedings set to begin against scandal-plagued Attorney General Ken Paxton. The Texas House Committee investigating issued 20 articles of impeachment against Paxton that include bribery, retaliating against whistleblowers, and obstruction of justice. Paxton himself once served in the House, which he says overruling the will of the people by removing him from office. Every politician who supports this deceitful impeachment attempt will inflict lasting damage on the credibility of the Texas House, which I served in. A successful impeachment vote would automatically suspend Paxton from office pending the outcome of a trial to be conducted by the Senate. More politicians working through the holiday weekend in Washington. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy at the White House for debt ceiling negotiations. I'm very patient. And the one thing I've always learned in these, uh, in any negotiations, um, don't get tired, be patient, uh, be honest, be upfront where you're going to go. The House Speaker later saying, quote, I don't know about a deal today. And with no deal, the U.S. government runs out of money on June 5th. Jessica Watkins, the former leading member of the far-right Oath Keepers Militia Group, was sentenced Friday to more than eight years in prison for her role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Watkins telling the court, quote, my actions and behaviors on that fateful day were wrong and, as I now understand, criminal. AAA says holiday travel this weekend could be one for the record books. More than 42 million Americans are projected to travel 50 miles or more. And flying, nearly 3.4 million people, including Katie and Dana, waiting on the long line at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport in Atlanta, heading to Cancun. They've got some hard one advice. Just get here early. Get here really early. You know, hydrate. <laughs> Have breakfast. Ca caffeinate. Bring snacks. <laughs> they say they haven't flown since 2016. You're listening to ABC News. Super Talk 1270. Bismarck Area Weather. 
With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, mostly sunny and breezy. Highs near 82. Slight chance of a sprinkle this afternoon. For tonight, mostly cloudy, breezy. Slight chance of a shower. Low near 61. Winds gust to 30 miles per hour. For Sunday, showers and thunderstorms and a high of 81. Try Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce. Perfect for barbecuing this Memorial Day weekend. Grandpa'sBBQShop.com. It's 73 at our studios. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit FDA.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The best weekend talk lineup is on Super Talk 1270. Check out the program schedule at supertalk1270.com and on the free Super Talk 1270 app. Portions of the following program are pre recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Hello, Steve. Hello, Marlo. Is it Dur Anderson? I bet you wouldn't wondering where I've been. Uh, where were you? I was uh the longest bathroom break I've ever seen. <laughs> Everything okay? <laughs> Everything's good. <laughs> well, you know the toys I have, right? Careful now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family yeah, show. yeah. Well, I don't know if you and Chris talked about what's going on around here, but but uh have a new lawnmower. Yes. That is now set up and working. So I have a badger autonomous lawnmower. And it runs around the yard, and I want to get my yarbo. I know you want to get a yarbo so bad. You know what? After after this week, we're going to start working on that. We talk about it forever, so that's going to happen. Tired of taking the garbage out. I get that. I understand that. The the dog poop bucket. Well, that's it. Doesn't quite have that feature yet, but we'll figure that one out. I think so. Well, we were talking about the uh, potential for in the spring of the year when it comes to picking up yeah. little landmines in yeah. the yard if it has that ability. Well, I would hope that maybe it would get to that. I'm sorry, I'm playing with the board here. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> I don't know why it is, but you know, I need to have those LED lights light up when I'm talking, so mm-hmm. I'm why not sure that? why. I don't know. We're in my studio today, though. Yeah, I know. We're, yeah. we're in Marlo's studio having a little fun today because he's got some new toys in here. So we're playing with new toys. Yeah. So you seen Astro when you came in. I did. So I know you didn't really get a chance to interact with him yet. But I what do you think? dance. Oh, you did? Yes, I did see Astro dance. I suppose people are going to wonder though why you just need a uh, you know a robot that's going to dance, but because you can, yeah, because you can. Okay, but you know we're going to figure out some functionality to this robot. Uh, you know, Chris and I have been talking about how we can program it to greet people when they come in the door. 
So, you know, like here, we have a studio, as as you know, that's where, that we're in. And, and we, can, can you have an answer, welcome people, like in the, one of my favorite welcomes of all time, the song Big Time? Oh, yeah. Hi there. <laughs> that would be it's hilarious, right? Hi there. Peter Gabriel. Yeah, can yeah. you get him to do that? Yeah, maybe so. Cool. But that kind of is the Next goal. I walk in, I, I expect, well, if hi it, there. Then I'm going to have to have it recognize you, so we'll have to put a profile in there. So when I go by uh, Astro now, I get a, I get a little whistle. Because it recognizes who I am, yeah. Well, not quite that not kind of whistle. Call. No, not a cat call. Uh, but it, you know, it's kind of funny, right? I know you watched it a little bit. I mean, it basically is a robot with a tablet for a face, right? But this tablet does come to life, doesn't it? Like Marla's got a wiggle. <laughs> but it does come to life. I mean, it's really interesting. You know, the eyes are blinking and it smiles occasionally, and and uh, it's really, it's really quite interesting. I'm intrigued. I I, I do want to uh, play with Astro a little bit more, and, and it's. I want to see the AI iteration, right? In because AI is the future of robotics. It's it. I think in terms of when technologies get intertwined. So if you take the crossroad of robotics with artificial intelligence, oh, that's going to be game-changing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's happening now, of course. And I mean, you think about the the cell phone Happened and then all, ago, all the movie. stuff, uh, yeah, all the stuff that's been built on top of cell phones, right? I mean, you, you build a right. platform. And I was just watching a video this morning about this and... This particular person thinks that that evolution of where we were with cell phones and then the apps that came along after that and all these companies got, that got built from that. You know, you think about Uber and Lyft and I guess those are a couple of the big, big ones. But there's a lot of, of, of things that we have in our world today that would not be possible if it wasn't for that app sitting on top of a cell phone, right? Think of it in terms of the platform. So you have the cell phone, which is the platform. Think of UAS or UAV, whatever you want to right, call it. Right, right. That's a platform. Right. You know, things that you need the foundation. You you you, you have to have a good foundation, and then what do you build on top of right. that? So like with UAS, it's like, okay, that – Whatever that package, that payload is, that's the technology. The UAS is the platform. Your cell phone is the platform. There's a lot of things that robotics, uh, pick a robot, yep. now put the AI as the the, robot, well, I, the the robot's the platform. The AI is the package. Well, that gives it mobility. That gives it ability to interact and move and, and function within – Okay, I'm scaring myself. Society. I, 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 well, but you see it you know out where here. I'm going, right? We have a yeah. robot functioning with our office right now. Well, it's in a, in a. You have a weird society at your <laughs> office, but that, that's. <laughs> but discussion for a later this time. particular gentleman was talking about how AI is that platform. So see, and I now and the robotics and is now the platform. Well, okay, but you look so, at. Let's take that apart a little bit. Okay. So, I look at. What provides the mobility? So, but I may be looking at AI as more sentient. And 
Well, so AI, when it, when it becomes integrated more and more into robotics, then yes. Okay. Then the artificial intelligence now has a, an ability to move. The, ro- the robot by itself is no more than what you tell it to do. It's a platform. So if it's going to weld a car, it welds a car. Right. If it's going to move a box from point A to point B, or when you're in an Amazon warehouse, for example, and you have a thousand of these little robots running all over the place it's packing your you stuff, it's what it's programmed to do. When you add artificial intelligence to it, then it starts to think a little bit on its own. You know, And a great example is Astro. So it will have it has the ability, by the way, to go on patrol in our building at night. So if it hears a noise, it goes and investigates and determines if somebody's broken in or if there's just a mouse running around. See, or now that'd be cool. I wouldn't have to send my wife. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife would really appreciate that, right? I'll find out what that noise yeah. is. I don't want to go downstairs. <laughs> but that's what this does, you know. And if there's something to be concerned about, then it will alert you. If it's if it's nothing to be concerned about, then no big deal. You know, if it's ghosts it's or whatever. Wind. Just the wind. Yeah. So... But this guy that I was watching this morning, he was talking about how artificial intelligence is at this, and then companies will build stuff on top of it, right? Kind of like how apps were built on top of phones. So he thinks that the, the greatest wealth to artificial intelligence is yet to come with the types of integrations that happen because of artificial intelligence. And he was he's like, I don't know what those are yet. But who would have thought that the Lyft and Uber would be a thing 10 years ago? Right. Right? And that only happens because we have this device. So I think that's what you really have to think about. And and the fact that AI can think for itself, and, and I just think that, and I think he's right, I think that, that we don't even know what's possible yet. And it'll be interesting to have this conversation that you and I are having like 10 years from now uh, just to see what has happened in the last 10 years because we can go right down the list with, with apps and all the things. I mean, who would have thought that you could pick up your phone and it would it would say, take me from here um, you know, to Plymouth, Illinois or back, you know, and not even have to pick up a, a map or anything nowadays. Just, uh, it's incredible. Watch out for the cliff. Um, just think back 10 years of what wasn't there 10 years ago now. Right. Um, so am I looking at it wrong or, or it – well, I think like, I, like I said, in my mind, the robotic is the platform. I, th- I think you're – I think robotics is, are a platform too. I think they're okay. both kind of platforms, but I think you're going to see a merging of the platform. Because I see the AI far outpacing – if you put it in terms of a platform, it, it – it, it's apples to oranges right. where AI is going to go yep. versus where robotics are currently and they get a little more space, but they need that input. I well, do believe, though, that AI, AI the input. I believe that AI is actually going to uh, increase the pace at which we develop robotics, though, because now you have artificial intelligence actually designing robots. Where, you know, so I think that that pace of development will be significantly faster. Because yeah, these what if scenarios? Yeah, I know. That's again. I, I, I need a better <laughs> tank body to go take out humans. Right. Yeah. Right. I think it's interesting that government is really getting into AI already. I don't know. I I, I am really. 
I don't know what I think about that, Steve. Well, I just that conversation. I know we have, and and look how, it's gotten significant in the last week. That's well, why I'm bringing it up. And we talk about AI and how fast it's advancing, but let's take a couple steps back and see where AI was to this point. Now we're seeing a lot of stuff out in the public forum, and the pace is. Incredible yeah. at which things are progressing, but the backstory to me is the interesting part. So, how much stuff was behind closed doors before the door got kicked open by Chat GPT? So, people have been working on this for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, Chat GPT has been uh, since 2015. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this isn't overnight. This but is it just feels over. Now. Yeah, they, they just didn't have the public using it as all. Right. So, when and where did the government get involved? That's a good question. Are, I guess. Are you, are you I guess back to 15, 20. I guess that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I just. I'm a little disheartened by you know all all the potential regulation that's going to be coming already, and if you got in the way of automobiles back in the in the 1900s, you know the early 1900s, I don't think the automobile would be as successful as it is. For example, now there's a time, you know, and the time was he still pulled by a horse. Sure. We right. might have, you know, yeah. you don't know. That that might have been the iteration yeah. of the yeah, yeah, because because you had you had two lobbies going on, and they they would have compromised and say, yeah, build all the cars you want, that'd be pulled by horses. Yeah, yeah, you never know, right? But they were out of the way long enough to you know kind of get into the federal side of signage and things. The Tech Ranch, Fire Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. So I suppose I need to explain that statement. So, yeah. So there was a time a hundred years ago that every state had its own stop sign. Every state had its own stop sign. Or yield sign. Or yield sign. Or whatever type of sign. Now, there were some that were similar in design. But as we became more and more mobile, you know, like, for example, you and I live in North Dakota, right? So if we would have went and we would have drove down to Texas, we would probably have had to know what the stop signs looked like in six or seven different states. Didn't they all say stop? Some did. But do you do you typically – well, of course they did. But do you typically look at the words on a sign or do you just know them by the shape? Well, you know them by the shape. That's right. If they were all different, then you would know the words on the sign. You'd probably be more apt to look at the wording on the signs, right? But like I tell my wife all the time, be aware of your surroundings. But it's interesting if you go if you go look. That's right. Situational awareness <laughs> yes, again, situational right? Situational awareness. So, but if you look at the signs back in those days, I mean, some of these signs were yellow. You know, so a stop sign would be yellow in some states and then it would be red in others and who knows, purple in another one or whatever. So if you were used to having a blue stop sign and then you come into Nebraska and their stop signs are yellow, then you really have to pay attention. And I'm not saying that people didn't, but there were there were a lot of accidents because of this. So having the federal government come in to unify the states with road signs made a hell of a lot of sense. It wasn't that long ago, actually, that traffic lights 
weren't uniform. Right. That's correct. Uh, it uh, was it eighties seven. I remember being somewhere one time in not the eighties. Not everywhere 80s. had a, a yellow. Yes, that's right. Not everywhere had a yellow, and and that was part of the uniforming process. Yep. But that was that was later. So. I guess the point I'm kind of getting at Why here is, is traffic light. I, I like blue; it's my favorite color. It is. My well, yellow's mine, but but she I understand that traffic. blue would have been fun. Yeah. But I think that you know, there's a time, and I'm not saying that there's not going to be mistakes with AI, but we should kind of, in my opinion, should be out of the way of it for a little bit, let it grow to what it, its potential is, and then you come in after the fact and say, "All right, these are the things that need to be fixed." And these are the things that are impacting a lot of people, and let's fix those, right? So isn't that the time that the federal government should look at some regulation and not now? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yep. Because I think that getting involved too soon will stifle the inspiration. Leave it to the federal government to peak too soon. And the ingenuity of this emerging technology that's going to change all of us, you know. So hi, we're the federal government. Yeah. We're here to help. No, I mean, it, you, you, I, I've I've watched this happen with autonomous vehicles, and I think maybe the the um, the car manufacturers themselves probably aren't so terribly upset about it, but but the technology is basically there. Okay, so a lot of the the push on the federal government side is coming from people. That is it a case of People aren't – they're afraid of the unknown or they're afraid of what they don't understand. Is that more the case here? Because the federal government, the elected officials, they're just going to do what their constituents push them towards or lobbyists and they're responsive. So, so getting in front of something – the, the, that's not their space. So let me ask you this. I'm going to ask a question. Then I'm going to answer your question with an action. Yeah. We know where that goes. But So you do this all the time on our show. You quote from what? Movies. So until you and I had have had in-depth conversations about AI on this show, mm-hmm. what what did you base all of your information about artificial intelligence on? Hell 9000. That's where it started. Okay. So uh, Star Trek with the computer system. So where do, you, computer system? where do you think all of our legislators probably get their information from? Because this is a total unknown. Oh, no. They're busy. They don't have to watch. They don't have time to watch TV like I do. Okay. I, Whatever they, you say. I'm sure they watch a little television. Well, okay. So with legislators, the process is it's like you assign a staffer to go, hey, get me a report on this because I don't have time to read the 7,000-page bill. Right. So give me a Cliff Notes version. And that's usually how the legislative process works. And then, and then, and then there's staffers who have watched, you know, 18 different episodes of Black Mirror and they had Next Generation Star Trek or whatever. This is the AI that they know. Because all they've all they've been taught, you know, to this point is what's been in somebody's mind that's writing science fiction. Yeah, cool to have a staffer who watched Doctor Who. That's true. You know, I think about that. If you put together your political staff, it's like, okay, you're a Doctor Who fan, you're a Star Trek fan, <laughs> you're a Terminator fan, you're and, a Matrix fan. And all of you have to give fan. me a report on this yeah, particular thing. Know, that's a diversified staff. That would be really interesting to see how those reports would come back. How do you <laughs> feel about this? Well, you know. 
<laughs> <That'd be hilarious. laughs> That's how you should legislate. That's right. That's right. Stay based on the movies you've seen. So I, yeah, I think it would be. I think it's kind of interesting that that we're getting in the way of this, and and uh, we don't know what we're doing. Which I guess so, is pretty typical, right? Yeah. Well, because it's it, it's typically the government reacts. So that is true. Why are they not reacting in this space then? Because there's there's more of a knee jerk to get in front of it. Um, unless unless what you stated earlier is true, that they've actually been in the know about what's going on for longer than we realize, right? So maybe yeah, there is not involved at the at some level with the development side. And I've told you my DARPA story with a friend of mine that swears that Facebook came out of DARPA, right? And that program closed down the day Facebook launched. Okay, there's a there's a lot that makes sense there. Sure. So why wouldn't the government be involved in some of the development of artificial intelligence? You know, it, when you start thinking of different applications from a governmental or a, or a military perspective, why wouldn't you be? Right. And we're talking about this, and I, I know of a of a computer system that was just replaced in a government entity that was 46 years old. They still had HAL. And I'm I'm listening to this conversation, and I'm like, how can anything operating in government be 46 years old? What did they have to go through to keep that thing operating? Just just the operating system alone and the security issues and everything else with that. And I'm like, that's and, – and, of course, it was you know blamed on budgetary constraints. Funny story. Go back and uh, – uh, so I had a friend and got a full tour of the Pentagon prior to the, the plane 9-11. And everybody takes – Shortcuts through the back halls because that's how you get from one side of that building to the other because there's – It's a know, massive houses. building. It's a massive building. Yep. And it's funny because you'll walk through a door and you'll see this beautiful, lavish office that belongs to a four-star general or an admiral. And then you'll go through another door and you're in the back hallway and you'd think you're in a cell block in a prison. And the original wavy glass on the windows overlooking the courtyard on the inside – because there's not the money there to keep up that building. But you right. see the Pentagon, you think of the Pentagon as this sleek, tech, state-of-the-art yep. building. It's not. Yeah. It's just bits and pieces. Right. And that tends to be what happens when finances get involved on the government side of things is they stitch and patch things together. But it just makes the, makes the story about that we're not keeping up. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. She comes alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. And don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. We're talking with Chris Vandeventer, uh, an iPhoneographer. Uh, Chris, what is an iPhoneographer? Uh, generally, somebody that takes um, photos with their mobile phone, uh, generally an iPhone. But it's come to incorporate. So beyond a tourist. Yeah, basically somebody that wants to that does it sort of like on a regular basis and does so it beyond a selfie addict. Pretty much, yeah. Somebody that goes out and takes art photos with their phone. Okay, art photo. That's a little bit different because that's kind of a uh, a unique space. It, mm-hmm. 
when you're looking at different mediums for um, art and expression and, and capturing images, where cell phones have come over the last, well, even three or four years has been absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to look up something real quick here. So when you're looking at uh, the ability to – because there's kind of a an arms race between different uh, phone companies, between mm-hmm. Samsung and Google and iPhone and hey, they're all it, – it's about the camera now. It's not about necessarily the rest of the functionality of the phone. It's – well, but my camera is better than your camera. Right. Uh, the joke is is that, you know, iPhoneographers, we refer to our phones as cameras that take phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some days that I wish I just had a phone that actually made and took phone calls, mm-hmm. maybe text occasionally. Other than that, I, uh, I you know, Marlo and I have, have had this conversation because you take a look at what, you know, look at my phone. It's not a phone. It's my wallet, and it's got my well. And then the cameras kind of train people because there's times I would like to disconnect. But if I go to a concert or an event, or you know, you got to have your camera with you. Mm-hmm. Society's changed. Correct. That that phone and the camera feature mm-hmm. has changed society. It's not always about the connectivity or being on the social media. It's about being able to have that instantaneous ability to take a picture or a video. Right. The best camera is the one you always have with you. Right. It doesn't matter what resolution it is. Is if you don't have it with you, it doesn't matter. You know, they talk about athletics. It's like, what's the best ability? Availability. Right. You know, the ability to. Be there on a, you know, and but the the spread of uh, camera phone, camera phones it has led it to a couple of different things. One, are you actually experiencing your event, or are you just there documenting it? You know, I, my um, son recently had his last band concert, and I was able to FaceTime my wife and show her some of the concert because she was homesick. Um, but then you also have some. That's a great use, though. I, right. I, I view that as a great use. And mm-hmm. I yell at my wife all the time. It's like, would you get off your phone and be where you are? Right. But then you also have um, some artists who they sell you Wi-Fi. They, they make you put your phone in a Wi-Fi dampening bag. Yeah, comedy shows. Before you can go to yeah. a concert or, yeah, comedy show. It's just they don't want you recording it. Um, my wife wasn't able to get tickets to Taylor Swift because of the whole Ticketmaster debacle. So she's been watching people's phone videos of her era's tour on Facebook <laughs> just so she can get her fix. Um, but It's like the old bootlegging movies in the theater right. Seinfeld episode. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy taking um, pictures with my phone because I really – the phone has I – mean, I've been doing it ever since um, I got my iPhone 4, um, you know, 13, almost – yeah, almost 13 years ago. And – you're, you're forced to be more creative in how you frame your photos because of the limited form factor of your camera phone. And there are certain features of it that you can actually take advantage of. Now they've got better resolution uh, you, on the professional models. You can get a wide angle or a zoom lens. Uh, I used to buy add-on lenses for my camera, for my phone, that would give me that telephoto ability. Oh, I had a uh, uh, 
Motorola with the remember the Motorola with all the uh, add-on features. Mm-hmm. So you could buy the projector, or you could buy the super lens for taking pictures. They they had like f- the mods. It was it was mm-hmm. the Moto Mods series, and they had like five different uh, mm-hmm. mods you could buy. Um, the lens thing was was kind of that yeah. Same I bought deal. a. Um there's a company called Moment that makes um, a case for your phone, and they sell you high-end um, lenses to go on that that's sort of an add-on, and they actually do a pretty good job. Um, but even I've I found that with the newer phones, I don't need the add-on lenses much anymore because I can pretty much do whatever I need to do. Now I can't make a super zoom like I used to, like eight or sixteen times. Um, well, I, I know, for example, like a lot of the outdoor shows um, and a lot of sportsmen that get out hunting, they, you know, there's a, a case that you can get to mount your phone into, depending on your phone, yeah. uh, so that you can take pictures through the aperture for spotting scopes. Mm-hmm. So now you've got a spotting scope that's a lens. Right. Uh, you're right there. You can get add-ons to look in your own ears. Um, if you want to check your kids' ears. Or be really flexible. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, you can add them onto telescopes and microscopes. Um, yeah, they're really handy. Um, about 10 years ago, I went on a uh, tour of Cape Cod with Jack Hollingsworth. He's um, sort of an iPhone photography evangelist. He's used to be nothing but film and then digital photography, and then he switched over to his iPhone and hasn't looked back because he finds that it – it's the spur of the moment. It's the creativity. You're forced to frame things in a different way. And it lets you get back because that, that big screen, you can actually stand back from where you're taking the photo and see the whole scene around you come to life. And you can decide how you want to photograph that person or that landscape. Um, and then you have all the apps you can put on your phone that will um, make post-processing. I like one called Blender. Where I can take two different photos and I can selectively erase part of it and have the photo in the back come through. Um, worked great with my. Um, well, that's actually a feature on Google uh, yeah. on the Google phones mm-hmm. is that they're they're promoting the heck out of that right. Yeah, now. the Magic Eraser. The I Magic mean, Eraser. I had a Magic Eraser app on here long before Google even had a phone, and um, you know it's just gotten better over time with the AI to adjust those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it particularly with my um, son and his grandparents. His grandfather was invariably had his eyes closed or he wasn't looking at the camera. So I would take multiple <laughs> photos and then I'd take the good one where my son and his grandma were looking great. Grandpa was looking off somewhere else. Find the one where grandpa's staring right ahead and nobody else is looking at the camera and merge the two. Blend them together. Yeah. And that works out pretty good. One new feature That's I like. a cool feature actually being yeah. able to do that because how many pictures do you take there – you know, sporting events or that one in a life. It, mm-hmm. There's one thing you notice in there. It's like, there's one new feature I like on the on the uh, for uh, iPhone photography is that if you take a picture of a person or something, um, you can actually tap and hold the photo, and it will automatically determine who's in the foreground. You can actually instantly crop out somebody from the foreground and paste that into another photo. Oh. So it's cut and paste, not pretty much. Yeah, you basically. Well, that takes Photoshop to an entirely different mm-hmm. level. Absolutely, you go in and you have somebody in the foreground. You can just tap and hold, and it'll automatically decide who they were. It has to have been taken with that particular phone 
you can't do it with some older phones. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, so you can't take a photo on an older iPhone and then do it. It has to have been one that's taken with the iPhone directly. Oh, just to play a little conspiracy theorist at the moment, boy, is that uh, you know with AI and you know some of the talk about some of the deep fakes and mm-hmm. video and and pictures and ooh, you, you, you got to be careful nowadays. Yeah, I mean, photo manipulation has been around for years. I mean, for centuries since the camera was invented. But the technology to it—it's just so much easier now. Yeah, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. Cut and paste, boom, done. Mm-hmm. Adobe just announced that they have this um, artificial intelligence fill that they're adding to Photoshop. So you can basically say, okay, I have a picture and then I want the background changed, but make it rain candy canes. And <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, some would say, Isn't that a filter on some of the social media? Oh, now? yeah, something like that. Then you have this big argument about whether it's actually photography, um, AI generated images. I mean, by its barest definition, it's not photography because you're not capturing light on a digital sensor or on film. You're manipulating pixels and data in a computer, but you're not doing any of the creating. So that brings up an interesting point because I want to come back and talk about the art side of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we talk about chat GPT and, and different AI and did you really write it yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, the plagiarism discussion, what it means in schools for writing papers. Let's go to the art world a little bit because with the ability to enhance or manipulate or create a photo without actually being there taking a photo. Right. Where's the line for what's really art and what's not art? It, it creates a lot of gray area. Mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, it can be considered art because – It's just not a traditional art. Right. You're, it's no different than let's say Jackson Pollock just throwing paint on a canvas and making something really impressionistic and abstract. Using AI is just another tool. I'm really good at that, by the way, but yeah. nobody will pay me for it. <laughs> it's just another tool you can use to create art. But the key thing is you have to be honest about it. There was a guy who created an entirely AI-generated photo of two women, submitted it to a photo contest, and won, even though he told them it was AI-generated. And it's like it's and not a it photo. An AI-generated Contest. No, it was just a photo contest, and so you, I think the jury is going to be out on that because a lot of these photo, these AI image generators, they're being trained on people's copyrighted work. So it's going out and it's crawling all these photos from the internet, saying, "Well, they're out there. I'm just going to use them to teach my computer how to how to make art." But the original images were copyrighted. So I think the courts are going to have a, a big say in this down the line. It's like how much of somebody else's work are you allowed to take to generate new? Yeah, then there's the other side of getting caught on that as well because you know, unless you're a, a Getty Images mm-hmm. that has everything copyrighted, but while well, it's really easy to crop out the Getty Images right. watermark at the bottom of a photo. And I think you know, the average person doesn't realize that the minute they take a photo, it's copyrighted to them. They just don't have the the resources and the lawyers right. to go after somebody for taking it. Yeah, I've um, got a friend that's taken pictures for a long time that uh, 
you know, never went out and went through that process. And then he's noticed in different trade magazines and things, mm-hmm. his photos are there. And he's like, well, who got, you know, he went and paid a professional photographer for some of these photos. It's like, who gave him permission for that? Because he didn't. Mm-hmm. But yet they're in a trade magazine. Right. Um, AI is a big shortcut for a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think where the courts are going to have to or the, the government's going to have to have a little say is how do you keep the integrity of a medium mm-hmm. – keep the integrity and keep it to that that produced it, that which produced it. You know, Who does that intellectual – property belong to and protecting that intellectual property mm-hmm. that's going to be another facet another extension of where ai from art goes right because right now i think the courts have said that ai generated art is not copyrightable because a computer created it but if i take an image that i asked ai to generate and then i manipulate it in some way to add my own touch does it then become copyrighted that's a great question mm-hmm. and that's something we we just don't know. It, yeah. You know, when we talk about AI and, and where regulation is, is going to fall, because there's a lot of talk about regulation coming into the AI world and trying to get ahead of it, which isn't really the space of the government. But um, I think that's a lot of the space from a legal precedent that should be talked about, mm-hmm. should be identified, try to get in front of some of that because now you're talking about real intellectual property. You just have to identify that property mm-hmm. into the correct category. Yeah, and there's a, that, I think you hit it right on the head. There's two issues. There's the intellectual property and copyright issue with AI, and then there is the public manipulation aspect of it, the deep fakes, the um, – Intentional misleadingness. I mean, to 2024, if we thought 2016 and 2020 were off the rails for the presidential race, 2024, hold on to your hats. <laughs> I mean, it's scary where it could yeah. go. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. And I think that's the definite role of government is to say, okay, what is the truth in advertising here? So when you're looking at that truth in advertising from an intellectual property perspective, um, like I said, there's just so much gray area. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. We're talking with Chris Van Deventer and I'm Steve Bakken. Uh, this is the Tech Ranch. Uh, Marlo, I, Marlo disappeared again. I don't know where he went, Chris, but uh, there's too many toys around the office. Yes. And because we're, we're broadcasting today from uh, Marlo's office and not the regular studio and he gets distracted here really easy. Yes, lots of shiny things. There there are shiny objects everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, it, <laughs> and we'll talk about Astro as well cuz uh, Astro is one of the shiny objects running around but uh um it, I want to finish up on some of the discussion about photography. Um I phonographer that yeah. uh, you technically are and you know one of the things that uh, pop up on social media quite a bit this time of the year is uh, thunderstorms popping up mm-hmm. and, and um, everybody's trying to catch that lightning photo. And, and I've just gotten in the habit. It's like, okay, you know there's going to be a good flash. Take a video and then crop out what you need. Right. That, that's usually mm-hmm. 
been the easiest way to take a picture of lightning. Right. When I first got my iPhone 4, um, we were driving late at night, my wife and I, and there was a storm off in the distance. And while she was driving, I just sat, sat there with my camera and I just was repeatedly tapping the shutter and just hoping to catch something. <laughs> um, but then... Um, that's so old school. With the amount, with the technology that's available, with the processing power in these computers, this is what we're carrying around is these aren't phones, these are computers. The light flash from a... That explains why the laptop is cheaper than your phone nowadays. This is true. Right. Uh, there's an app out called, um, it's called iLightning Cam. And I don't know if it's available on the Google Play Store for Android, but I've had it since its first iteration. And other than a big warning saying, lightning is dangerous, do not use this app outdoors. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's really handy because you can say, you can... You can Adjust. Well, that made legal happy. So yeah. it's. you can adjust your shutter speed, and you can sell it. Put it off on full auto. Mount it on a tripod, point it at the lightning at the thundercloud, and it'll sit there and it'll take a picture of every lightning bolt. And you, it's a clear as day. Um, some of them don't come out very well because even extraneous light from a uh, passing vehicle will trigger the shutter. But you can adjust it for heavy lightning, for light lightning, for sporadic lightning. I mean. You can block out your horizon. It's I've used it multiple times here in Bismarck to take pictures of lightning off my, out of my house. Uh, I look out over the Capitol, so I'm on the north north side of town, and I, out my back door you can see all the way to the Capitol building, and that's just a great shot with those thunderclouds that roll in from the oh, Missouri River, and you can just get all these little lightning flashes. And it's, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, talk about the features on a phone and, and with the camera side of things. Um, how many people actually go in and just play with their camera? I mean, I, I get a phone and I'm like, okay, it's got a camera, great. And then I'll figure it out when I use the camera. You can't do that anymore. There's so many features mm -hmm. with a camera and, and the ability to manipulate what a photo photograph looks like or when you're taking it. So you're at a concert and it's dark and you don't like that artist that's just a blur of light. But you remember that who the artist is. Um, you don't have to put up with that anymore. Right. And some of the camera app creators, uh, Apple has added a bunch of features where you can manipulate shutter speed and things like that through the actual camera on the phone like you would on a digital camera. Right. Uh, but there's, but there's other apps that, that'll do that too. They'll get down to the bare the nitty gritty and so you can actually get yourself a professional DSLR type control on your phone. Well, that's the other thing too is you, you take a look at a camera phone and okay, that's even on a cutting edge what they sell or you think mm -hmm. they're selling is the, the latest greatest. It's really not the latest greatest. It's, it's, they're all base models because you can add an app to that. Mm -hmm. You could upgrade almost anything when it comes to your phone uh, for the camera. So you're basically getting a, a, a basic camera mm -hmm. that, well, how good do you want it? Right. You talk about uh, being able to manipulate photos and being creative and just playing with them. Um, one thing about digital cameras is they are sensitive to infrared light. So digital sensors will pick up infrared. And so to prevent that from affecting your photos, they put a filter to block the infrared right in front of the sensor. And that's on most of your commercial cameras these days. And all the newer phones have them too. But the iPhone 4 didn't. It was sensitive to infrared light. It didn't have a filter. 
And I learned this because they say, well, go into a dark room and move your remote control around and start pushing buttons. If you can see the L- the, the infrared LED flash in your camera, then you know that it can see infrared. So I went out and I got myself an ultra dark infrared filter from like a photo place, put it in front of my camera lens and I went out and started taking pictures. Huh. And the pictures come out super dark and red. But then I apply a black and white filter to it in the editing app and boom, it's like I'm taking pictures of an x-ray. It's like a, to see the infrared side of things. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. So there's ways to get really creative with this. If you if you want to go outside the box and not just do what's in the phone, put prisms up to it or yeah, I didn't kaleidoscopes realize, and I, I I didn't realize the quality of camera that I had with my Samsung until uh, my wife and I were on vacation and went to take a photo of us and another couple outdoors at night, and it we found a fairly dark spot, so we could just take the picture and I figure, okay, to have the, I think my flash fo- uh, option was, was okay. If you need it, great. If not, it's not on. And the flash didn't go off. I'm hmm. like, okay, take another picture. Flash didn't go off. Looked at the pictures. I'm like, holy crap, does that lens gather light? Mm-hmm. And then I noticed in the background, the night sky. I'm like, wait a minute. So I started taking some pictures up at the stars, and I was like, holy crap, do I get space? It's like the Hubble telescope. Mm-hmm. The, the pictures were amazing. That's when I started to play with my camera a little bit more and go, mm-hmm. this thing takes really good pictures. Mm-hmm. And if you couple it with the telescope, you can get even better. <laughs> <laughs> the actual tele- Well, I, I, But now you start talking about the different apps that are out there. Mm-hmm. So you can take a, a, a photo of what I deem as incredible quality. And couple it with a telescope mm-hmm. or a spotting scope, like I mentioned, or you know, add the filters on it that improve this and this and this and this. And where's the level of photography end? I I, I don't see a ceiling to this. In the old days, when you wanted to take like a time lapse or like of um, like star trails, right? Um, you would basically lock open your shutter, and then it would just pick up all the light on right. the film as it went around. There's really no way to lock open a shutter on no on these phones. Well, you think back in the old uh, cowboy days, it's like okay, or Civil War days, pull it off one one thousand two one thousand three. I put the cover back on. Yeah, you or the stand film. there for five minutes. And no, yeah. Smile. Um, but you can actually um, manipulate the virtual shutter a little bit and slow it down. I've taken pictures of um, waterfalls where I put on. There's an app, Slow Shutter, that that'll just basically do a faux. Um, shutter lock and you just sit there and you just keep your camera steady and you take a picture and it will just all the water will just blend together so you're not getting those sharp little water droplets in a waterfall you're getting that ghostly kind of veil a little fuzzy yeah like the Bob Ross yeah. types like isn't that a pretty little thing <laughs> I love Bob who doesn't like Bob Ross that's right uh, but okay Bob Ross re- reference Technique. Mm-hmm. Technique matters, especially when it comes to taking digital photographs with this new medium today. 
If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. This is Ag Issues with Neil Roberts. Welcome to another edition of Ag Issues. Our guest this week is Ward County Extension Agent Paige Brummond. And Paige, some planting dates for insurance purposing are upon us. Give us some dates and some options. Yeah, so the question for a lot of producers is going to be whether they plant a crop a little bit later and accept that risk of lower yields and reduced crop insurance coverage, or whether they choose to collect a prevented planting indemnity payment. And these dates, they're going to change depending upon where you're at in the state and what crop specifically you're talking about up here in the Minot area. A lot of those dates are May 25th to the beginning of June. Okay, good stuff. And hey, we'll talk more about those dates and some decision-making tools when we come back. It's time for the 7th Annual Bruner Angus Ranch Turnout Bull Sale at noon, Monday, June 5th at Rugby Livestock. Selling 55 high-performance yearling and two-year-old bulls, along with 45 replacement heifers. The bulls are tested and ready to go the day of the sale. For more information, go to BrunerAngusRanch.com or call Travis at 626-2070 or Blaine at 721-4754. We hope to see you at the sale. Brett Michaels, Party Gras 2023, Saturday, June 3rd. Four Bears Casino and Lodge. From over 50 million albums sold come some poison hits and solo hits live. All for the men who starred in VH1's Rock of Love, The Masked Singer on Fox, and ABC's Greatest Hits. Brett Michaels, Party Gras 2023 with Jefferson Starship. Tickets on sale now at fourbearscasino.com and the Players Club. With Ward County Extension Agent Paige Brummond, and we're talking planting date options for growers today. And Paige, with Prevent Plant, there are some options for not planting at all then, right? And, and you're thinking that might actually happen for some growers out there as the calendar continues to get pushed back. Yeah, so when we talk prevent planning indemnity payments, two critical assumptions are what's the expected yield going to be and what's that market price going to be for later seeding. So producers run that risk of having lower yields and quality if they plant later into the season. So NDSU has a prevent planning analysis tool where people can input their information and get that economic decision of what's going to be best for their operation. And good news, I guess, right now, this last week of May, a lot of guys are finally out in the field and a lot of wheels are rolling out there. Yeah, absolutely. We were happy to get that moisture. You know, the crops, once they get in now, they're going to get off to a really, really good start. We just had to wait for things to dry out a little bit. So we're a little bit later than typical. All right. Good stuff, Paige. Thanks for that. And that'll put a wrap on this edition. Until next time, I'm Neil Roberts. You've been listening to Ag Issues, brought to you in part by the Bruner Angus Bull Sale, by Four Bears Casino and Lodge near Newtown, North Dakota, and by Bremer Bank. Contact Bremer for your ag banking solutions. This is the Pet Minute. I'm Steve Dale, honoring four-legged soldiers for Memorial Day. Next. Your dog loves going to the dog park and seeing his buddies. Maybe sometimes when you travel, he gets to hang out with friends at his favorite boarding facility. Social dogs like yours need more protection than most. By pairing Bordetella Protection, also known as Kennel Cough, with immunity against canine influenza, we can help ensure these dogs stay healthy. Merck Animal Health wants you to talk with your veterinarian about pairing up for protection with vaccines 
for your dog for kennel cough and the canine influenza virus. Don't wait. Vaccinate. When military working dogs retire, their handlers are allowed to adopt them, and the nonprofit U.S. War Dogs Association offers help, says President Chris Willingham. We cover all prescription medications for retired military working dogs. We got about 1,200 on our program right now, and we also cover emergency surgeries. Visit uswardogs.org to support these amazing dogs who support our veterans. For the Pet Minute, I'm Steve Dale. AM Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. It's Saturday and it's a holiday weekend, and yet. The House will come to order. Members, please register. The Texas House of Representatives in session at this hour, gathering for impeachment proceedings against the state Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton. Prior to the gavel, Paxton saying they are showcasing their absolute contempt for the electoral process. But as fellow Republicans leading the charge to impeach Paxton, the 20 articles of impeachment include bribery, retaliating against whistleblowers and obstruction of justice. Kevin McCarthy today at the White House saying there will be no default, but there's no deal yet on the debt ceiling and that he doesn't know about the deal today. What Republicans are looking for? We have to curb inflation. We've got to make us less dependent upon China. Um, I've laid out the framework. There will be no new taxes. The president stated he wanted more taxes. He wanted new programs. That's not going to happen. One of the world's leading financial authorities is criticizing the situation that has the U.S. close to a default. The managing director of the International Monetary Fund calls the debt ceiling showdown a man-made problem. So maybe we need to call on the women to solve it. Kristalina Georgieva says Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen knows what she's doing, but for the good of the world, the debt ceiling should just go away. The world economy is faced with so many challenges. Please take this out. It is a self-inflicted injury. She met Friday with Treasury Secretary Yellen and Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Brian Clark, ABC News. On this Memorial Day weekend, more than 42 million Americans expected to travel 50 miles or more. Airports experiencing crowds not seen since before the pandemic, including this traveler. Woke up at 3.30 in the morning, caught groom transportation out of East Ridge, Tennessee, and got here, fell asleep on the van. And <laughs> You're listening to ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With your forecast, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, mostly sunny and breezy. Highs near 82. Slight chance of a sprinkle this afternoon. For tonight, mostly cloudy, breezy. Slight chance of a shower. Low near 61. Winds gust to 30 miles per hour. For Sunday, showers and thunderstorms and a high of 81. Try Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce. Perfect for barbecuing this Memorial Day weekend. GrandpasBBQShop.com. Right now, 71 degrees. Hello, North Dakota. Joe Giganti, host of the regular Joe Show, now heard weeknights 9 to midnight here on Super Talk 1270. Together we'll tackle the hottest topics, be it politics, entertainment, or the culture, unapologetically through the lens of true conservatism, all while remembering to laugh and have a little bit of fun. You know, live life boldly. The regular Joe Show, weekday evening starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. 
Now you can listen to Super Talk 1270 on Alexa. Hiya. Find out how at supertalk1270.com. Goodbye. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. When you start talking about trends in computers, there's a lot to learn, a lot to know. Um, you know, whether it's the virus side, the software side, what's compatible, what's not. Uh, we're talking with Chris Vandeventer. Uh, what are you seeing as far as some of the trends that are out there? Because I, when I look at uh, the computer side of things, there seems to be. Oh, I don't know if it, it, it's a flow. It's more of a movement because things tend to shift as a group. What are you seeing out there for computer trends? Uh, because with AI, uh, there's a game change going on, a mm. big paradigm shift in what we consider as computer or computer intelligence or the ability of computers to work for us. Um, so what are you seeing as some of the trending for computing going? Well, I, one of the things I see quite a bit, and these are just commercials on the security side, you see a lot like with WhatsApp saying, okay, we encrypt all your text messages. If you're sending a text message without using our app, anybody could read it. They have the commercial where it's like you put a – sending a private letter via carrier pigeon. Anybody could read it. And so they, they're really forcing on this privacy and encryption because people are out there, they're going to do bad things. Then you see the commercials for VPNs, virtual private networks. You need to log in through a VPN to keep the advertisers away and to keep snoopers from looking at your stuff. But ultimately, if somebody wants to get into your computer, they're going to. Um, what these are going after is sort of like the casual. It's like I went out and I checked my bank account at Starbucks. Somebody's going to steal my account information. That's possible, but somebody has to be actually in the building with you using the same Wi-Fi, knowing that you're going to that site and trying to get into your device. Which is still possible. It's still possible. I think the security issues are overblown slightly. Well, so one of the things we're hearing security-wise right now is uh, don't hop onto public Wi-Fi um, unless you've got extra layers of security. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Two-step authentications becoming three-step authentication. Um, do you see some AI changing that as far as what people need to be cognizant of? Because you know, for just from a hacker or a scammer perspective, that's changed a lot because mm-hmm. you could have AI doing a bulk of the work now uh, as far as scamming or hacking somebody. Yeah, you, know, you, you, you hear about the the different artificial voices that are created Mm -hmm. that aren't who you're talking to. Um, There's a lot of different layers of security Mm -hmm. that need to be added because of all this. Yeah, I think the base security that anybody needs when they're using a phone, and I don't don't buy into stay off public Wi-Fi. I would say that 
don't trade stocks on public Wi-Fi. Don't do all your banking on public Wi-Fi. But there's really nothing wrong with connecting to a Wi-Fi in a hotel or at a Starbucks because you need to be connected. Um, at the same time, what it really comes down to is your passwords. Passwords need to be secure. And that doesn't mean uh, what some people think is secure. You have to have a capital and a small lowercase and a special character and a number. For me, some of my passwords are just five random words strung together. Because it's well, that's super what long. they say is the best way yeah. to do it is come up with a goofy phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that those work just as well. Because when you talk about AI and trying to get into somebody's account, you're looking at a brute force attack. It takes a lot longer to, to crack a 25-character code than an 8-1 that meets the special character number thing. Because all it has to look for is A through Z, one through 0 through 9, exclamation, asterisk. I mean – Add more complexity in length, not in making it hard to remember. I, when I was mayor, uh, we went to uh, Bismarck. We went and got new uh, uh, security software, and uh, we switched over to okay. Now you have a phrase. Trying to remember the phrase was a little, you know, because everybody writes their passwords down on. Mm-hmm back of your laptop or on the, right on the keyboard and also a bad idea. Don't do that. Um, but I, I remember the phrase, the first phrase that I did is just like, a banana is a fruit from a tree that's yellow, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, who's going to hack that? Right. <laughs> I um, that, That's where I switched everything. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Go to a phrase. Yeah, I ran the uh, 2020 census. Um, for the Census Bureau in North Dakota, and we had the same issue. Every three, every month, you had to change your password. It's like that doesn't help. No, in remembering things, if I have to change it to something different every single time, and if you if you force me to do that, I'm just going to add a different number to the end. Right, and <laughs> and and that defeats the purpose of it being secure. And that's a lot of frustration for mm-hmm. people too, mm-hmm. because uh, people like the kiss principle, you mm-hmm. know, and. and what are you going to remember? And, well, okay, well, I'll just add another number and add another number and add another. I used to get screwed up on my passwords. I'm like, okay, which extra symbol did I use? Was it the mm-hmm. exclamation point or the at sign? Yeah. <laughs> I look like, at my wife's passwords. Secure. And it's like, are these hieroglyphs? What? <laughs> yeah. But in the overall scheme of security, that's not the most secure. Mm-hmm. It's also... Not the easiest to remember. Right. So, you know, the other thing people fall into too is, that I notice is people use one password for everything. Mm-hmm. So that's not secure either. Right. Yeah. I use you get one, one, you get them all. Yeah. I want, I, I use one password and um, it's handy because my dad has been able to share with me his one password vault for if they, if something happens to them, that way I have access to all of their information. It's handy that way. Um, but my wife and I really can't share joint passwords across the app anymore because one password is now subscription based and the apps are separate. <laughs> and it's like, I've just gotten around of, I just save, um, my passwords right into the, um, Apple password manager right on my phone. It, it needs my face. It needs two factors and nobody's going to get it unless they have my face and my, Two-factor authentication methods. Yeah. So, okay, two-factor authentication methods. Uh, we've been hearing a lot of talk about three-factor mm-hmm. authentication methods. What, 
what does that look like? I haven't stumbled across any yet, but I haven't either. People are saying with AI and everything else, and and the level of attacks and the frequency, but that some of these platforms may start going to three mm-hmm. three factor. I don't know. Um, the only example I know of recently is Twitter got rid of text authentication. Is that texting is not secure? We're not going to send you any more codes via text. So earlier this spring, you had to switch to another method, whether it was email or some sort of token in the Twitter app on your phone because they said texting is no longer secure. Now you have to go through this other process. Yet Google has pretty much all of my stuff, and they send me a text every time I try to log in. Yeah. So it's like where's the medium? I don't know what the – So you need a text to log into your phone – so that you can get into your email to get the email to log into your phone. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 okay. Again, frustration, kiss mm-hmm. principle, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I can see some issues with people mm-hmm. going, oh, I, I give up. I just pretty, pretty soon it's going to be like those um, are you a robot questions and um, rather than giving you pictures of bridges to select, it's going to make you go outside and find a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> How many cats are in this picture? That's right. Um, so what other trends are you seeing out there from a from a security perspective? You know, I'm a Mac user, so viruses have never been a really um, a concern of mine. And it's not so much that Macs don't get viruses, is that in the old days, viruses were meant to propagate and spread, so they wanted Max to go. Th- do that. And they wanted to do it the quickest, easiest way. What's the most ubiquitous computer on the planet? A PC. So we're going to go to where you get the biggest bang for your buck. Um, See, Macs are actually like cats. They're very independent, and uh, yeah. yeah, I don't feel like doing that. You can do it, but if you're only expecting one or two computers, where's the fun in that as a as a hacker? <laughs> or where's the profit in that? Right, because. Mm-hmm. Hackers typically and scams typically work on volume. Right. And a lot of it is it's about the human security. It's not about the physical security of your device. It's human security. I get that in this building all the time. There's um, something out there called Windows Security Defender. And it's a malicious pop-up on certain websites, um, some not so kosher and some that would be considered Perfectly fine, like auction sites or mapping sites. You click on the wrong thing on this page, and suddenly it takes it takes over your computer. It says, "Warning: Your computer has been infected. Please do not shut down. Please call this number, and we will fix it for you." A lot of people call that number, yeah, and start handing out information left and right. They somebody logs into their computer, and suddenly the hackers have all your information. What I tell people is that they see that. Force your computer to shut down. Unplug it from the wall or press that power button and hold it until it shuts down. It will go away. And then find whatever website you had just visited and delete it. Yeah. Um, then there's another one where well, it's – Well, we just had one in the studio. Uh, Marlo and I, he was in there when it happened. Um, I pulled up a, a local website and this pop-up showed up. I'm like, wait a minute. And the whole thing was a yes button. So no matter where you click, yep, click mm-hmm. out of this. No matter what you clicked on, it was yes. Mm-hmm. And I, there's two examples I throw out there. Um, phishing is basically the best way. You want me to stop? Okay, one. So phishing, um, you know, trying to convince you to do something you probably wouldn't do otherwise. Um, 
now we have this issue with on the web about everyone has to opt into everything. Some of the European rules about voluntary opt-in for cookie tracking and all that stuff. So you see all these pop-ups that come up. And what have we been accustomed to whenever we get a yes or no question online? We just click through our agree on our right. terms of service. Click, click, click. Nobody reads the fine print. Yeah. So you'll get to a website and they'll say, do you want this site to allow notifications? No. Never never click yes. Hit no, no. Unless, unless you know the site. A lot of folks will just automatically click that and then all of a sudden – they're getting these notifications in their um, Windows bar. Warning, you are infected. Please subscribe to McAfee now. <laughs> so the security sometimes isn't the most secure either. The Tech Ranch. Look. Getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. A lot of people have different uh, security concerns between their computer their PC, their well, we'll leave Mac out of this. That's a different animal, um, and their phone because it depends on what you're doing from a computing perspective on your phone. Different con- security concerns, different protocols. You, you need to look at them different. You can't go well, but I do this, this, and this on my computer, so I can do this, this, and this on my phone, or vice versa. You need to look at them differently when it comes to security, right? Um, I think the simplest thing to think about is like if you have a desktop or like an all-in-one monitor system, more than likely your computer is plugged directly into your internet modem or your router. So there's no – it's not on wireless. It's not getting wireless signals um, that could be intercepted, whereas your phone is either on cellular or it's on Wi-Fi. And so there's always that there's there's information being transmitted via radio wave. Whereas so the most secure thing would be to have it plugged physically into a wall jack. Um, but a secure wall jack because juice jacking and mm-hmm. and that whole thing we've talked uh, yeah. about in the past that's a concern as well. Mm-hmm. So you know when we talk about being on uh, secure Wi-Fi or not on secure Wi-Fi, that secure code and transmission Mm -hmm. of your data because most of them will transfer data back and forth, know your cord. Know know what you're plugged into if you are. Mm -hmm. But then if you have a laptop, you're you're, you're mobile. You're in the kitchen. You're um, in the bedroom. So you're communicating via Wi-Fi that way. So there's just a lot of the concerns. I, I would say the biggest thing is if you're really that concerned, you get some sort of a virtual private network where you're logging into um, another server, basically, that's encrypted from everything else. Um, I had that on my son's phone for a while because he's on Verizon, and so we wanted to put him on a kid's protected mode. And so there was only certain things he could do. He was going through their VPN. Then I found out his phone was dying too fast. I mean, it was just eating up his battery because it's constantly on this Verizon VPN network. It's like it wasn't using 5G. It wasn't using Wi-Fi. It was going through something else. And was just hmm. eating up his battery. So I finally said, forget that. I'm, I'm turning that off. I know my son. I can inspect his phone. I can trust him to do certain things. I didn't need to have that added layer of protection on there. Because sometimes a VPN can wreak havoc on what you want to do. Because depending on what you're doing, there might be content blockers um, where you can't get to certain um, websites. I've run into this with even some of the, the adult filters on a um, 
phone to block certain adult websites. Well, let me go to the New York Post. <laughs> and it's like, how does that work? <laughs> um, some of my schooling, um, I'm taking getting my master's in communications at SNHU. Some of those sites were blocked by the adult filter. And it's like, why? I don't know. So sometimes it's, it's like the algorithms we were talking about. How is the security service you're using determining what's bad and what's not? Um, so sometimes right, now, it, now I'm getting a tinfoil hat moment uh, because who's writing up those protocols? Right. Um, I was running a virus scan for um, a computer that came in and I was using their Norton and it said, oh, you're free and clear. Well, what I was going through was it's a scanning for this virus, scanning for this virus, scanning for this virus. I ran the one that we use, which isn't Norton. It found five viruses. Because it was looking for viruses. Norton was looking for the specific, specific viruses, viruses. And those weren't on there, so everything was fine. Jeez. Oh, so it's, yeah. It, it all depends on, so at some point, if it becomes too much of a hassle, you're going to go do away with security altogether because you're not accomplishing what you need to accomplish. So it's a give and take. You have to know what security you're using, know its limitations, and willing to accept some risk if those limitations are interfering with your productivity. So the difference between the phone side and people that are using their phone and the computer side, whether it's uh, – uh, so is it safe to say that laptops basically get lumped more in with your phone rather than a PC? Right, yeah, because they're more wirelessly connected. Okay. I think where the phone has an added security lapse is text messaging. Um this is Amazon. Or or texting you to verify a recent purchase you made. Please click here. Yeah. Um, you get your. There's there's really no viruses for phones that I know of, but you'll see pop-ups that will say your phone is infected. Please call this number. And again, it's it's about that human aspect. We're going to trick you into thinking that there's something wrong that you, that only we can fix. Then we're going to steal your money. Um, I think that's where the edits, the human component that makes phones a little bit more vulnerable. If we're on a computer, we're more attuned to the fact that it might be at risk or there might be a virus. With the phones, it's almost like we don't care or we don't even look. Um, well, and that begs the question is do we need to have some concern with the phone in the same space or do we need to look at it in a completely different space? I think people just need to treat all electronic devices in their possession as if they are at risk, but don't go overboard in trying to lock yourself off just to protect yourself, if that makes any sense. So ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure yeah. kind of yeah, I th- I think that he- old adage. It's like be secure, be aware of your where you're at, what you're doing right. within your device, mm-hmm. but – don't let that dictate your use of the device. Right. Because I think a lot of these times when these these companies that push like these VPN networks that are supposed to be ultra secure to protect you from all the hackers might give you a false sense of security. You're logging into their system and using their encryption services to navigate the web. But it's still coming on you as the user to be secure aware of what's going on. Because what if their servers get hacked? And your information is going through their servers. Um, don't treat like a VPN as sort of like a security blanket where you can just forget about everything. Yeah, else. forget about everything else. You still need to be aware of what's going on. 
And I think that that education process is important. So my question is, who gets to hack the hackers? Hackers. <laughs> the good guy hackers, the white, hat, the white I, I, hats. The white hats. Well, okay, so there's white hats, black hats, mm-hmm. gray hats. Yeah. What's the difference? Good hackers, bad hackers, and and those that sometimes are and sometimes, is you know, there, I really is don't there know. Is a good hacker? Well, there are some. You'll see, like you'll get these alerts sometimes in the news. iOS um, security flaw discovered, and a lot of times that's a hacker trying to see if he can break into the um, operating system of an iPhone, finding a hole, telling Apple about it waiting for Apple to fix it and then release the information about it. Um, That would be, for example, a white hat. Find a problem, tell the people that can fix the problem about it first, then tell the public. A black hat hacker would tell the public first and not even bother telling the people that want it because they want to exploit the hole. Right. They want to make money off of Mm -hmm. that exploitation. Mm -hmm. So gray area, then the gray hats that – they kind of pick and choose or probably I yeah there's really is no good guy bad guy in this situation because ultimately you're trying to break into some sort of secure system um, reminds me of the old movie with Robert Redford and uh, Sidney Poitier sneakers sneakers <laughs> um, they get they get movie. they get paid to break into banks to help the banks not have the money stolen. That was a good movie. Actually, when I throw that in the world of sci-fi, that's actually one that should be there from old school. Mm-hmm. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. So we're broadcasting today from Marlo's studio, and not the regular radio station studio. And... One of the things that's really interesting is Marlo's here and there and over everywhere because he's distracted by toys. One of the cool toys that Marlo got this week is Astro, a um, little robot running around. Uh, we're talking with Chris uh, Van Deventer. Okay. I'm going to back up a little bit. Give me the backstory of Astro because it's kind of a beta test right now. Mm-hmm. It's not out in public space yeah, yet. He, he can't really get it. Marlo got one. And what are some of the things you've seen over the last week with Astro running around the building? Well, yeah, Astro came on Friday in a big box, and I didn't know what it was. I had heard something about a robot coming to the office, and then I immediately it was delivered. Then I immediately got a a slack Danger from, rule, Robinson. Yeah. Danger. Got a slack from Marlo saying, don't touch my robot. <laughs> so I immediately touched the box and sent him a picture. Um, but we got it set up on Monday. And what it is is for anybody that's familiar with Doctor Who, uh, the original Doctor Who's from the 70s, there was a, a robot dog in there called K9. If you go on Google K9, that's exactly what Astro looks like, the K9 dog from Doctor Who. It's basically an iPad on wheels. Uh, it's got very cool cameras and and it maneuvers like a Roomba, but it's got some intelligence in there, and it can actually do more than just a. No, it's not AI. It's no, it's not. not. An AI it's, it yet. uses um, sensors and more of an Alexa, right? Yeah, it's basically Alexa on wheels. You could call it that because you can run through Alexa through it. Um, it goes in, and you first you have to 
teach it where it lives. And so it follows you around the um, your space, um, and you tell it what rooms it's in, and it takes images like a 3D map of the space it's in to determine where it's at in space. And um, it's pretty pretty handy. I uh, got it trained a bit on Monday. My joke is is that we have a little slope out here in our front office, and we have a black floor. And one of the two of the things that um, Amazon, who makes Astro, says is that we don't do black floors and we don't do ramps or steps. <laughs> and it's like, and so he gets stuck at this little ramp. And my joke is, is Jeff Bezos can put a man in space, but he can't navigate a ramp. <laughs> um, so hopefully that'll be something that they can um, resolve here. But but this is a kind robot. It's not like a yes. Dalek from Doctor. No, no. Exterminate. It, um, <laughs> ideally, what we want to do is we want to have this thing greet our visitors um, that come in. Right now, we have a cowbell on the front door because we can't really see the front office from our where we're working. We have security cameras, so but we're not staring at them all the time. So anytime we hear the cowbell go, we know we somebody's come in. So well, I was nice telling Marlo. Well, actually, we used to have a cowbell at the radio station door. Uh, same scenario. It, mm-hmm. it was a little cowbell, though. It wasn't a big cowbell. Mm-hmm. And then they put in a doorbell because the the cowbell you could hear it in the studios, which was a good thing, mm-hmm. but not when you're on the radio in the studios. The uh, yeah, you had to explain it then. Um, I, I was telling Marlo it, it'd be kind of cool if you could have it greet you as um, Peter Gabriel from the opening on the song Big Time. I, 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 lo- I always like that that intro. Oh. It's like, hi there. <laughs> or like Max Headroom. Yeah. Yes. yes. That, it'd be kind of funny if you – because it has a virtual face. It has two eyes right. and it'll blink and it'll dance. It'll whistle. But ultimately it um, – it's I did to, see a dance. That was kind of cool. It, has a periscope that'll go up. It can take video. It's like almost like a a virtual presence. Marlo machine. said it could go up to six feet tall. Yeah, um, tell it to go up periscope yet. and it'll go all the way up and it'll like a virtual presence machine. That episode right. of Big Bang where Sheldon decides he's yeah. going to live forever by not going anywhere. Yep, love that episode. Um, so yeah, it does a little bit of that. Marlo freaked me out just the other day. He Astro was running around. With a, with his cameras on, and all of a sudden, I think it was you said, "Yeah, that was hi, Chris." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it can recognize faces. Uh, it has a bit of a face ID in there, so everybody in the office has introduced itself, and you can say, "Go find Chris, go find Amy, go find Marlo." Um, so, where do you see that technology going from, from an office perspective? Because you guys are planning on using it as a door greeter. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many other capabilities. Where where are the benefits to an office? I, I think I asked it if it could dust, and it told me how to dust. Yeah, it didn't say it would dust. But uh, what are the other benefits, or where, what are the directions you see technology like this going? Well, one thing this do, does is um, I I view it as kind of like a ring doorbell on steroids. I mean, obviously, Ring is made by Amazon, and Astro is made by Amazon. This is not a paid plug. We just that's who did it, and unless they want to sponsor the show, that's right. It could be. Um, you can set it to patrol, so it'll basically wander around your space, business space, and check on things. So you, instead of having fixed cameras everywhere, you're you like you have a robot going around and 
So MacGyver has to figure out a way to get around the robot instead of <laughs> blocking out a specific static camera. Um, that's one use case. We're a pretty small office, so we can just sh- shout across the room. But I can see another one too is like Astro take this to Marlowe. So he has a little cubby in the back. You can put what Marlo needs. Well, he told me about the dog treats, which my dogs would totally roll Astro for the mm-hmm. treats. But well, right now he's um, it has a cup holder. You can send, you can send drinks. Just go to the kitchen. Give me a beer, and somebody puts a beer in there and bring it back. Um, right now, named him Matt Alex. Yeah. Right now he's giving Grogu a ride. My little stuffed baby Yoda is sort of driving Astro and going along for a ride in the office. So. So through uh, because Astro does learn, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be a Mandalorian fan now, or I don't know, maybe um, he has figured out how to get up um, one of our ramps by going at it sideways and kind of backing up and adjusting. Um, trying to get him all the way down the hall is a problem because of the black floor, but he seems to do okay out in our front area where our. Um, Shirts and calendars are kept. You know, one of the things, too, is you've got in the, the front lobby uh, some TVs set up that are you know, one of the ones I always get fascinated with. I get sucked into it every time is different hacks. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw Astro watching watching the TV Yeah, he, for some reason, he goes out in that room and then he'll invariably will stop looking at that particular TV, watching the five-minute hacks or five-minute crafts, and I – Came out and I saw him. I was like, "Oh my god, he's becoming self-aware." <laughs> <laughs> it's a mini Martha Stewart. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I ask is is I'm trying to figure out the technology. Is, is it motion activated? Is it you know how does it respond to? I mean, voice activated, of course, mm-hmm. but. Apparently, it's fascinated by what movement because, and I'm I'm putting it in terms of my dogs because mm-hmm. I've I've got one dog that actively watches TV, mm-hmm. and it, it's not necessarily the movement they're watching TV. Yeah, um, motion is, is a part is, of it. Is that how it engages? Yeah, because when I was taking it around, because I'm thinking the security side too. So if somebody's breaking in, it's not necessarily a loud crash, but. It would pick up on movement mm-hmm. in the dark, right? Right. When I first was – because you could set it and it just kind of explores and then it sort of learns the space you're in and then it says, OK, I'm going to follow you around as you show me where everything's at. And it will say, you're going too fast, um, catching up, I'm on my way, little words will pop up on the screen. I'd say the same things. Um the other day, um, except with me, you'd have to have to show me more than once, probably. Right, Astro is just one and done. Um, Marlo's the one that set it up, and I wasn't even in the system yet, but I was the one taking it around, and it was responding to my voice pretty well, even though I hadn't trained it that way. And it was recognizing me, but it thought I was Marlo. It came up to me the other day, and it said, "I missed you, Marlo." <laughs> so it so it'll find you, and it'll say, "I found Chris," or "I found Marlo," and. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> okay, so from now, the way Marlo explained this to me, it's kind of a beta. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see this going with? Because I, at some point, I I'm pretty confident that there's going to be an AI component that's integrated with this. Because mm-hmm. um, I kind of think of 
there's two schools of thought, either the robots, the platform, or the AI is the platform. I tend to think of things as, okay, the robot's a platform, AI is the payload. Right. Um, Marlowe thinks of it in different terms, uh, the other way around. Maybe it's just my human constraint. That's the way I look at it. When you start integrating AI – where the magic's going to happen is where the the crossroads between AI and robotics meet. Mm-hmm. That that's going to be game changing, right? I think with the AI, what the AI component of this could be is that right now I have to lead it around the building and tell it what rooms it's what room it's in. With an AI, perhaps if you're doing this in a home setting or an office setting, it would be able to determine that okay, I'm in the hallway. Okay, this is an office. This is office number two. Um, there's a bed in here. This must be a bedroom. There's a fridge in here. This must be the kitchen. I think that it could start training itself that way as far as what's in your space. So it'll start calling you, come to the kitchen. Yeah. Cause, well, because well, I noticed you guys were like, hey, come to the lunchroom. Come to mm-hmm. Chris's office. You guys were calling it around and it's learning to go there. Mm-hmm. But with the AI, it's like, come to the kitchen and – you come running. Right. Um, and because right now, um, wherever it was sitting, when you told it I what room it was I was making your margarita in, and the blender blew up. It, I don't know. <laughs> what it, wherever it was sitting when you told it what room it's in, that's the exact spot it goes back to. Really? Yeah. When, that's interesting. When you say go to Chris's desk and it's like, okay, it'll stop right about five feet from me. Um. So yeah, I think that's it's a, one thing, interesting thing about it. How do you override that learning? If say you can you, go, you, at, you taught it something inaccurate, or you want to upgrade something. Mm-hmm. According to what Astro tells me, is that if I want to make any changes, I need to go onto the Astro app on my phone and modify room names, or delete rooms, or recreate the map, or delete it entirely. Um, so there's a way to reset it and delete because it just generated a 3D map of its environment. That it stores and that's what it uses to navigate. So with AI, that. you would just tell, tell it to learn a, learn a new map. Learn a new map. Mm-hmm. Or with the um, rather than take this to Marlow and you have to put it in the in the bin. Um, if there's any appendages or something, you say go take this VHS tape to Marlow, or go take this USB drive to Marlow. Um, I can see that being more of a use case in a larger office. See, I'm thinking with AI, it's like, okay, go get the ingredients out of the shelf mm-hmm. and make a margarita and bring that to Marlo. Yeah. I, I'd be in on that. Mm-hmm. See, now – He dances, so you could put, a, you could put like, a, like a shaker in the back <laughs> and then he dances. <laughs> yeah. So, do some sort of Rube Goldberg machine where you have the sour and the tequila and – Everything just sit on the shelf and it just bumps into the shelf and everything falls over. And Perfect. I love it. I'll get working on that. <laughs> my wife was – There's I an was, app for that, right? Right. I was telling my wife that we got this thing and she, she's always worried. It's like, well, are they ever going to run out of stuff for you to do, Chris? And it's like, well, no. I got a lot of stuff. That, you know, I do a lot of things. But they bought a robot to greet everybody. What's your job? I said, well, I teach the robot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Marlo and I talk about that all the time is – um, the jobs that are going to be displaced by AI, mm-hmm. and we've seen this already with robotics, 
but then the jobs that are created mm-hmm. because of that space. And, and Marlo threw out a stat to me the other day, um, like 80 million jobs would be displaced because of AI. And, but they're expecting 90 million to be created. Now that doesn't sound like very much or the number just, it has no meaning until you go 80 million. That's the current workforce. Right. You're, whoa. <laughs> you know, and I look at it from the perspective of, you know, the writer strike that's going on right now. Right. And everyone's like, well, AI is going to kill writers. And it's like, being yeah, on strike is going to kill writers. Yeah. But yeah. But so I think, look at that and it's like, okay, we're a small office. I run National Day Radio, which is our radio station. And there are four main things I do with that. I maintain the playlist of music. I come up with interesting content for the radio st- for the t- different national days, but to do that, I have to record it and write it. So there's a lot that goes into your day, and a lot that goes into having an assistant in the AI space. The Tech Ranch Super Talk 1270. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the Guru of Geek, Marlo Anderson. So one of the extensions of the Tech Ranch and National Day Calendar, nationaldaycalendar.com, by the way, um, National Day Radio, it's another little piece that kind of in the beta testing mode right now. We're talking with Chris Van Deventer, um, who runs National Day Radio for Marlowe, and and, uh, I got to listen to National Day Radio on a road trip with Marlo. I'm like, this is really cool. They, you know, a little based off of the calendar premise. Um, explain to listeners out there what National Day Radio is. I guess, in a nutshell, National Day Radio is the musical version of our calendar. Um, and it's, it plays, you know, your top 50. Top ten songs, new songs, old songs. I've got stuff from the fifties. I've got. I liked it because it's eclectic. Yes, it's everywhere, and one reason why it's good that it's everywhere is the songs. Oh, it's obviously still a beta test. We have about twenty thousand listeners a month. Uh, bulk of those from the U.S., um, U.K., and Canada, and. We're not quite at the point of having it matched to every single day that's out there, but I have enough content out there right now where we can sort of say, okay, it's donut day. So you're going to hear a lot from Homer Simpson today. Yes. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, it's National Banana Day. You're going to hear the Banana Boat song. Right. Banana Pancakes by Jack Johnson. I mean, <laughs> that's where I come in is I am a walking Wikipedia of music. You give me a word, I can tell you a song. My wife hates it. She'll say something just in a regular conversation and I'll just break out into song. She's like, oh, great. You did that. Um, so like on National Limerick Day, um, I had a song called Limerick is a Lady by some Irish dude. <laughs> I, I just found it. And it's like I've got, I've got a terabyte of songs to go through, and I just find these songs that are tied to the national day. Uh, we've partnered with a YouTuber named Mrs. Erickson. Uh, she's out of Colorado, and she started doing these national day videos during the pandemic for students just to provide an interesting educational piece. And so – 
she's let us use her content. So every morning we have a little two to three minute piece from her about what national day it is, followed by a song tied to the national day. That's what we want the radio to be. We want to build off of that. So sometimes I'll come up with kind of interactive at that. Point, yeah. Then. And so on national dress day, I did a, a segment that played snippets of 10 Madonna songs or um, what was – or I have a playlist of ukulele songs. Play your ukulele day was back in March. So I did 10 songs back-to-back where the ukulele was the primary Tiny instrument. Tiny bubbles. That actually wasn't one of them. It's one of my favorite songs. But yeah, we, we had uh, Summer of the Rainbow by um, Israel Kamehameha. I mean <laughs> – <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what we do. And ultimately, we'd like to sort of be able to say all the songs are tied to the National Day in some way. But that gets to be a little difficult because I can throw Sweet Georgia Brown out um, on the radio, but you're not going to know that it's the Harlem Globetrotters theme song unless I tell you. Oh, I knew that. Yeah. But you get that. So you suddenly it's starting to – or suddenly why am I hearing – Kermit the Frog sing. Well, because it's National Rainbow Day. <laughs> it's like you got to tell them what the connection is. And that's where some of these other um, pieces come in where I pull out Marlo does a daily podcast of the various days. So I've gone back through the archives and I've taken his recordings since tw- from 2020 and on and I snippet those out and I manipulate them to make them into their own little radio ads. And then those get played sporadically throughout the day on the day that they exist. Um, creating new content has been a really big struggle because he only does two days in these podcasts. So sometimes I have six versions of the same day, just different stories. So that's where AI has come in is that we have uh, the AI. I'll say, okay, here is an article about, well, we're announcing International VW Bus Day next June 2nd. I heard that. That's kind of exciting yeah. because it's kind of a, a – it's a cool niche. Yeah. So VW Bus, big thing, big splash on June 2nd. Well – In conjunction to a big splash that VW is doing as well. Absolutely. Just a tease there. I wanted we'll to – Just leave it there. Well, what do I write about this? It's like, okay, we have an article. We wrote an article for the day. So I just basically said, okay, VW, not VW, to, to the AI. It's like, here's our article. Give me something fun about the VW bus and reference hippie culture, subculture, iconic. And it wrote me about five paragraphs of stuff. And then I can whittle that down and make it into something that I can record for the radio. Um, but I don't always have time to write it, even if I have the AI do it, and record it in the studio. Because I also have to manage the playlists and then I do the video conversions and the other thing here in the office. So we also have a AI voiceover that we use. Um, I've trained it to understand my voice. And so I can basically take what I get off the AI, plug it into the voiceover, have it record as me, and I can put out in seconds something that would have taken me a day previously to record, edit, and write. So it's like if we have a brand new day coming out, it's like, oh, I got to do something for this tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. It's out in 30 seconds. 
so tie it into the calendar. Uh, how often do you get brand new days that pop up? Because now it's it, it's at the point where there's been a good base of saturation. Mm-hmm. And now it's at the point where you can be a little choosy yeah. well, we and, got to and choose your days carefully. We get about 30,000 requests a year. And um, out of those, we do anywhere from 25 to 30. And um, some of them are about iconic brands. Um, last year, we did Gummy Bear Day in association with Haribo. Um, this year, we did Sunkiss Citrus Day with the Sunkiss Growers. Uh, Sugar Bee Apple Day with the Sugar Bee Apple Company. Um, obviously, VW Bus Day. Um, but then there's other ones. Um, next Saturday is National Grape Day. That's a new one. Nobody paid for it. Nobody created it. Um, we noticed that there was a great popsicle day, but there wasn't a national grape day. Grape day. So we decided, well, we're going to make national grape day. Which is a good day because now you can drink wine and eat raisins. That's right. Yes. So it, it, there are – outside of our calendar, there are days that are out there. It's just what is something that's going to evoke that feeling of celebration, that – significance, um, whether it's something like the federal holiday of Juneteenth, which is new and related to a significant part of American history, or is it something fun like Grape Day? What constitutes a, a day to qualify? Um, you know, I'm not on the committee that handles those, but generally it has to be something that is going to be like a no-brainer to celebrate. Is it something that is iconic, like let's say the VW bus. Is it something that people tend to gravitate toward? Food days are always good, but there are only so many pie days you can have. Oh, no. You can have a pie day every you day. You can't have a pie day every you day. You can have a pie day every day because you can have pecan. Mm-hmm. And we do have those days. Yeah. Banana cream. I, I'm a big fan of all of those. So, uh, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on uh, the Tech Ranch. I'm Steve Bakken. Marlo, back next week. And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of The Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. This is Outdoor Issues.